Football on the Sports Social Podcast Network is brought to you by BetVictor, where new signings are guaranteed a great debut. Join and choose your welcome offer at betvictor.com. 18 plus, begambleaware.org. NFL Sunday Ticket is now on YouTube and YouTube TV, which means that it just got easier to be an NFL fan, even if you live far away. Like, maybe you like the Bears, but you're hibernating in Panthers territory. But with NFL Sunday Ticket, your out-of-market team is never more than a short distance away. Specifically, the distance from you to your remote control. NFL Sunday Ticket, now on YouTube and YouTube TV. Go to youtube.com slash presale to get $50 off. Terms and embargoes apply. Offer ends 919. No refund. Subscription auto renews. Hello, welcome to VAR at the Bar, episode 21. Uh, my name's Ant, I'm hosting today and I'm joined by the usual suspects. Hello, I'm Dan. And I'm Chris. Hello, how are we? Yeah, good mate, how about you? Uh, yeah, can't complain, that's a nice time off. Good, good. And what about Having you, Dan? No, I'm good, thanks. Looking forward to a little break over Easter. All good. Premier League football back as well. It is, it is indeed. Yes. Can- Lads, is it okay if I can give you a list of players? Okay, no. and I want you yeah, to guess what, what the, the link is, okay? Okay. Oh, I've only just started, Chris. <laughs> okay. I'm getting straight in with it, mate. Getting people thinking straight away. Here we go. Go on. Aaron Ramsdale, Max Aarons, Ben Godfrey, Ryan Session, Todd Cantwell, Tom Davies, Eberese Eze, Conor Gallagher, Curtis Jones, Dwight McNeil, Rion Brewster, Callum Hudson-Odoi, and Emil Smith-Rowe. Do you know what the link is? England on 21s. Correct. With that team, how on earth did they not get out of their group? <laughs> Who knows? It's madness, isn't it? That, that I've just named you the ones that are Premier League sort of starters. And then there's obviously other ones from the Championship. Well, it's madness, Booth, isn't it? Lady Boothworth says it's an impossible job, so clearly it is. Yeah. Well, I think, think it's impossible if he's in charge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, well, I just thought I'd just write that in. There's talk of Frank Lampard uh, been touted for it. Whether he'll take it or not, I don't know. Might be a bit beneath him, well, maybe. In my opinion. Interesting. I, I don't think they could go AD Booroyd anymore. I think he lost um, in the train one was lost against Andorra a few months back. So <laughs> it's madness, really. That's that crazy. But you know, the Germans lost uh, North Macedonia this week, so it's been a funny old week. Yeah, but, but do you know when the last defeat they had in a Europe World Cup qualifier was? Uh, probably many years ago. I'm firing away with the stats. 
2001 against a certain England, the 5-1. That was the last time they lost in the World Cup qualifier. Wow. But it's a bit it like is. England, you know, they play the, the minnows every week, every year, don't they? So. <laughs> yeah. And they play what's in front of you though, isn't it? Yeah, I just thought I'd whack that in. Sorry for interrupting your your flow there. That's all right, mate. That's all right. Right, I've got an action-packed one tonight for you. So thought we'd have a little chat about the proposed Champions League rebrand, which might actually not happen now, I was reading today. <laughs> but hey Um Chris is going to regale us with his Good, the Bad, the Obscure. So we've then got the top five iconic shirt sponsors followed by Dan's Walnut Watch, and then the top 10 Premier League flops from 2010 onwards. Uh, a bit of fancy football, and then a quiz, as always, to round it off. Good. Yeah, that is an action-packed schedule. So, before, just to warm you up, before we get started on the Champions League, obviously Aguero's announced this week he's not going to stay at Man City. Do you reckon they got someone lined up? Uh, good question. I was thinking possibly certain Haaland. However, his representatives were seen in Barcelona. It could be a smoke screen, um, but I I thought that could probably be it. But because from what I know, I think Dortmund have got quite a low release clause in comparative terms, and that's why the, he stayed for another year. So that would be my favourite, but. I, I think his clause is, is 66 million as of next year. Oh, is it 66 as of next year? Okay. Yeah, I think so. I'd, I'd, my good feeling is that they've not got anyone lined up. Uh, they've been sniffing around Messi again, haven't they? But that's always uh, that's going to be hard to get through, isn't it? Because the Barca will want to keep him for any price. Yeah. Much as uh, Guardiola would love to have him there. Don't know if that will actually pan out. I don't think so, to be honest, like, because the president, they've got a new president in, and I think they go, get on a lot better than Messi did with the old president. So I can't see that happening. But again, you never know. <laughs> there's only part of it, though. If you think about um, the football, I mean, Messi was very frustrated. They lost to Bayern Munich last season, 8-2 humiliation. And they've had a rough season this year as well. They've not been competitive. He might... You might be thinking he's not got that many years left in him and he wants to win trophies, he wants a new challenge. He might well move abroad. Possibly. I know that they're looking at getting rid of Griezmann and um, Dembele to try, and Coutinho to try and get some more collateral. So it depends, I guess, on who they bring in or on, on the wish list of Barcelona, I guess. Another name they're thinking of getting rid of, who I think will be brilliant in the Premier League, and that's uh, Miralem Pjanic. Oh, really? They're looking at getting rid of him as well? Yeah, he can't get in the team. So, just, just going back to Aguero, do you think Man City are right to get rid of him? Do you think, or let him go, rather? I think he's chosen to go, hasn't he? Yeah. I, I was just determined he was going to score a goal at Anfield at some point in his career. You never know, um, he might do it. He might do it in the Champions next. League. <laughs> I know we can't meet to the final, can we? <laughs> but no, I, I, I was in a way I was surprised, in a way I wasn't, you know. It was almost like I thought he was going to do another full season because this year has been pretty horrendous for him injury-wise, hasn't it? Um, and I thought yeah. he probably would have wanted to have gone off on a bit more of a high, but I can see his point. He's probably going to struggle to get into the team at the moment, isn't he? 
know. That's what I mean. I mean, <laughs> he hasn't played play. really for like a year and they're on course for the quadruple. So, you know, do Man City actually need him anymore? Well, that's the question, isn't it? Yeah, they've, they've got by pretty well without him, to be fair. On and then you think quadruple. if they do buy Messi or Haaland or Harry Kane or whatever, you might as well just hand the cups over to start the season. Exactly, yeah. Harry Kane, there's, a, there's an interesting one. Very interesting one, I must admit, guys. With his, isn't he postponing his talks about his future until after the World Cup? Apparently, he's was he now twenty eight? He's um, yeah. he's getting to that point he's in his trying. career where he's got to think about whether he's going to stay at Tottenham for his entire career or is he going to move on? It's now it's getting close to that time where he's got to make the move if he's going to make it. True, true that. Yeah, we shall see. Okay, moving on. Champions League format, which may or may not happen. So the current um, format will be scrapped and it will be replaced by the Swiss League model, whereby each team will play 10 matches against various opponents. Uh, And overall, it will form a table. Um, And then in its and then there'll be 36 teams to 32 with a space for two wildcard entries. And these wild cards will be reserved for clubs with the highest UEFA coefficient. So basically clubs that have done well in the past in the Champions League who may not have qualified through the league position. So obviously, like if it was used now, it could be Liverpool. Um, so what's, what's your thoughts on these new proposals? Well, for a start, I don't like how they're using our wild cards. That's our, that, that should be our... Uh, they should have asked us whether they could use the wild card name, surely, as we do that for our top tens. <laughs> Didn't the Wimbledon <laughs> Tennis Club beat us to that one, though, to be fair? <laughs> Sorry, I don't understand. I don't know what that game is. <laughs> I, I, I don't like the sound of any proposal where you've got this uh, sort of preferential rating to clubs that have been in the competition previously it just closes the door on other teams getting involved and I think that teams should have the uh, ability to earn the right through performances in one season to get to play in the competition the next so if you finish fourth in the league you should qualify that's my opinion yeah no, I totally agree I mean you've got to look at who's invented this and this is uh, the if I'm right is it Juventus owner that's um, put this proposal forward and you're looking at a team that hasn't got any further than the quarterfinals for the past four seasons. I think it speaks volumes there. It's sort of a bit, a bit of and giving himself a chance. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And they're not guaranteed to finish in a qualifying spot in the Italian league this season with their 100%. current form. So, yeah, it, it's quite cynical, isn't it? It is. It's very, it's very, it's the, the diversion, isn't it, from this whole world league or the European yeah. League that they're doing, wasn't it? It's a smoke screen to this to be like the medium in between. Yeah, and we've heard this before from other from other. Um, I think it was from Roma a couple of years ago, where they'd uh, they didn't qualify for the Champions League with the league position, but they said it was more of an achievement for them to reach the um, quarterfinal stage in the Champions League than it was for Atalanta to finish in fourth position. So they should be put forward instead of Atalanta. Yeah. which, which I, I, I don't agree with. No, not at all. I'd, I'd also like to know how they're going to work out who plays who. Because obviously you're only playing 10 games, you're not playing everyone. So how, how are they going to work out if it's fair or not? You know, Barcelona, Barcelona could play, I don't know, Juventus, Liverpool and, and Maribor or someone. 
Maribor could have an absolute storm of a season and beat all three of them. And Juventus could have had, could have a crap season, beat none of them. How, how are you going to... What's potentially an easy tie might not be an easy tie. Right. And then and then you could be, for example, a more minnow team and have every single top could have a top five team twice. You just don't know. Then well, yeah, yeah no, exactly. <laughs> you know, you could have PSG home and away or something, you know, if you're Maribor, for example, it's it's hardly fair. I don't know how they, how even they would do that. I, I just don't I can't see. It just seems like it's adding more games to an already hectic season for most teams isn't it it's almost well, this, is, this is going to be my next point where where are these extra games going to get played well, kissing goodbye to um, domestic cup competitions isn't it they're almost trying to do I mean we've already got we're flogging a dead, dead horse hypothetically with the league cup aren't we already hmm. and you know if that goes on then you can kiss that goodbye really couldn't you but that does generate quite a bit of money for the lower leagues. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, do you just cut the premiership teams out of it? Like, with all due respect to the people that, whatever it's called now, Johnson Paint Trophy or whatever, I don't know who really wins that every season. And I think a lot of people would switch off. You can't take the Premier League clubs out. Like you just said, it generates a lot of money for the lower league clubs, but it wouldn't do if you don't have the Premier League clubs there. No. No, you're right. But then a lot of them don't take it seriously anyway. Mm. Which is why Man City win it every yeah. year because they've got the best squad. Yeah. But we're getting to the point where you actually don't mind watching some of the um, Carabao Cup matches because the second eleven at Man City, for example, they're still really good to watch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's still an achievement to beat them. True, but no, it's a very interesting con- concept. The only thing that I, you know, you're more concerned is that it's being agreed so fast and <laughs> going to this almost final decision so quickly. You know, with the proposal only being up like two months or something like that. Uh, it's crazy. Like I said, it might not happen. Um, but, you know, my, my main concern with it was where all these extra games going to going to get played, and you know, we're already teams and managers are moaning about the extra games, and yeah. all of a sudden we're adding more. Well, yeah, I mean, you're sort of looking at squads of about thirty players, aren't you? Then, you know, forget about the twenty-five. You're sort of almost thinking, well. I'm going to have to put five in in other for the league and maybe put another five in on the Champions League, if that was the case, because so many more games just be be mad. Say, for example, um, you know, a smaller club like, like a Burn- the size of Burnley with their squad, they would, they would struggle, wouldn't they, with something like that? If, you know, they had one of those seasons or, or even, say, an Everton, you know, where their first 11 is brilliant, but then once you get to about, you know, the 18th, 19th player, they probably haven't got that strength in depth. It'd be a nightmare for them with a couple of injuries, wouldn't it? Yeah. Or Liverpool this season. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Liverpool proved the point, haven't they? <laughs> I would say Leicester, but Leicester's second string teams is a good, good quality team. <laughs> yeah, doing all right at the minute. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and the other, you know, just going back to Dan's point about making it a closed or closed shop in terms of the, you know, the the regulars coming back, it's not really fair on teams from other countries. I was reading that Denmark and Israel and Norway or someone still have to qualify so so many rounds. Yet Liverpool could finish seventh, and because they've won it a few times, they then get straight in. It's yeah. not really fair on the uh, smaller countries. Yeah. 
it's interesting to see how far they go back with the points. Is it about five seasons? Is it normally on co, co- the way that they work it out? I think so. Yeah. But it's called the Champions League. You know, it, it started yeah, off, it was exactly. the Champions League. It was the top two from every league. Yeah. Well, it started off four. Yeah, it started off with one team from each country, you know, of eight countries, didn't it, the first mm. one? Yeah. It wasn't even two. It's getting to the point now where you can finish eighth in the premiership and qualify for some European competition. You've got to be careful that it doesn't make a mockery of it where there's too many, like almost, with all due respect, the Euros. You know, there's like about how many, you know, national teams are there going to be in the Euros? It's not so... It's not an elite, is it? You've sort of got about 20-odd teams. You've got North Macedonia there. You've got some teams that you probably wouldn't think that they should be there. There was Albania there in the last one. And it sort of gets too open, doesn't it, that it's not for the elite teams. But I suppose with the Euros, it's a bit different It's because it's more international. I think. Perhaps I guess, they should yeah. get some of the, young, the smaller nations in rather than getting battered by England in qualifiers every year. <laughs> anyway, we digress. Um, any more thoughts on that? Just that it's a bad idea. <laughs> I think we've established that quite quickly. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like it at all. I hope it doesn't happen. Okay, moving on. Good, the bad, the obscure. What you got for us, Chris? No problem. As, have you heard of Andy van der Meijer before? Yes. 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 Okay. He was one of the lads from the Ajax Academy, like many Dutch players. Uh, he was a very uh, silky winger and proficient dribbler like uh, Mr. Figo, people compared him to. So anyway, he signed up um, as a youngster at Ajax, like I said, uh, made his first team debut at the age of 18. He was then loaned out to FC20 for one season um, and helped them finish sixth in the area divise. So, obviously, after that good season, he then uh, stayed with Ajax for three three years and was an ever-present in the team that won the area divise and the cup double in 2002. Um, with his performances, he earned his first international cap with then manager Dick Advocat in 2002, and he scored on his debut as well in a 2 0 win against USA. So, some of the players he played with in Ajax with that golden team was um, Wesley Snyder, Zatany Bohimovic. Um, and then, because of his uh, performances for Ajax and the international uh, team uh, with Holland, it alerted uh, Inter to come up for him. And they made a bid over the re- in the region of about £8 million for him. And uh, well, he was accepted and he moved in the summer of 2003. Things didn't quite work out very well for him there. He spent a lot of time on the bench. Um, and then, unfortunately, in, in those, especially in the second half of his uh, tenure there, uh, he started drinking a lot, and that's when he's, he sort of started to suffer a bit from depression. He then moved to Everton. At this time, Everton actually just qualified for the first ever time in the Champions League under uh, the great Scott David Moyes, 
beating their old favourites Liverpool to that fourth place spot. So they went to to buy him and got him for two million and thought that was a massive coup for them. Um, he was reportedly on £37,000 at Everton at that time. He was one of their highest paid players. Um, but unfortunately, his time at Everton was fraught with controversy. His relationship with David Moyes was strained. His party antics, despite not being a drinker before arriving in Liverpool, descended into cocaine use and effectively ended his marriage he performed better on the party scene than he actually did on the football pitch. Good old, I guess that's the Merseyside curse, they say that. He actually said on an interview about when he first joined uh, Everton, he goes, I bought a Ferrari and the first stop was the News Bar, a popular place in Liverpool. After a couple of hours of alcohol, I drove to the nearest strip club. Getting drunk in, in a strip club in the middle of Liverpool was not very smart. But I had a strong longing for naked women. To be honest, when he first joined, uh, Van der Maeder actually was injured for the first six months. Um, he had a lot of run-ins with David Moyes. And uh, during this time, he actually developed insomnia. And for two years, stole sleeping p- pills from the club's uh, doctor's office at Everton. And also alcohol and prescription drugs became the cure for his insomnia. He was addicted, not playing to playing football, um, but obviously with drugs, and that's when that's how he hit rock bottom. So anyway, we go back to his playing time, or very rare playing times at Everton, and uh, on his first Merseyside derby against Liverpool in March two thousand six, he got a straight red card for a challenge on Zave Alonso. Unfortunately, Everton ended up losing three one. Um, then we're going now to August 2006. He was admitted in hospital with breathing problems. It was claimed that a drink had been that his drink had been spiked in a bar. He was fined by Everton for breach of discipline, and then unfortunately, to round off his week, um, he had a, his house broken into whilst he was playing in a friendly against Atletico Bilbao. Um, so now we're going on to the same. Uh, going on to year on, uh, so this is August 2007, he was suspended following a breach of discipline because he failed to t- appear at training, was fined two weeks wages, uh, he appealed for understanding from the club and fans due to the personal situation he was facing with his daughter not being allowed to leave hospital since her birth during the illness. He did not make an appearance for the main squad for over a year and was just limited to just reserve team football. So finally, after this absolute disastrous time at Everton, he was released in uh, June 2009. Um, He went to PSV, but they only ever played him once in a closed door game. In late 2011, he decided to retire from football at the age of 31. Um, he he actually said that if he stayed in Liverpool any longer, he probably would have killed him due to his his um, obsession with drink and drugs, and he called it a shithole as well. I don't know whether that was just you know sour grapes, and he called um, Dave, David Moyes a sour cold Scotsman. Well, 
isn't he? <laughs> um, one famous last thing, though, that he did was um, he, he actually, like I said, he made 17 appearances for Holland, scoring that one goal. And he also uh, refereed in the 2014 Lingerie World Cup, uh, <laughs> which, if you wanted to know, Holland did win that World Cup. <laughs> and he was the ref. And he was a ref, of course. <laughs> It's a shame because yeah, he sounded such a talented player, but like I said, he got depressed at Inter and started a bit on the drink there, and then it just got perpetually worse. Big contract at Everton and got injured, and that was it. Yeah, I wasn't aware of that backstory. It's quite sad, really. It is, really, yeah. I think it is a, another, another one that could have probably have gone all the way, but unfortunately... I mean, I remember that challenge you did on Alonso vaguely. don't know if you remember it, Anna. I remember it. Yeah, I remember it quite well. And I, I think he then started on a few players on the, as he was leaving as well. <laughs> I think it was a little bit um, hot-headed, to say the least. <laughs> ah, nice one. Yeah, it's good. Okay. Top five iconic shirt sponsors. As always, no right or wrong answers. So, Dan, what's your first one for us? All right, first one. I've gone for a Napoli sponsor, Mars. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that one. It's not on my list, but I remember it. Yeah, it's just uh, with the success that they had at that time uh, with Maradona playing for them. There's just so many pictures that you see with Mars on the T-shirts. <laughs> and it just it just stays in your memory, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's just, just always stuck with me, that one. That's why it has to go on my list. I'm sure we must have eaten a few as well. Yeah, I love a Mars ice cream. <laughs> All right, uh, I'll go next. Uh, my first pick is uh, ABN Amro at Ajax. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You no, know, just, just iconic and the fact that it's vertical as well mm. makes it so different and... Ajax shirts have always looked nice. And yeah. That, that just added to it. Just nice and plain and simple, isn't it? I like it. I didn't realise until today they're actually a Dutch bank. I, I never yeah, really knew really what they were. <laughs> <laughs> I never knew what they were. I just thought, oh, it's a cool sponsor. <laughs> well, going with the Dutch theme, I'm going with their arch rivals, PSV, Philips. Yeah. They had, that, they, they had that between 1981 to 2016. That sponsor, I just, I just like it. It just it looks, looks nice on the shirt, and obviously they've had it for a long time. So, <laughs> okay, Dan. Uh, next up, I've gone for Newcastle Brown Ale. Oh yes, yes. that's on my right. list. Yeah, yeah, it has to Classic be, mate, isn't it? Has to be. What Newcastle fan didn't like that sponsor? Yeah, I, know. I think most football fans like that sponsor. It just looks nice. Yeah. It looks cool. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. On my little bit of digging, I did. It's for twenty years they had that before. Wow! Yeah, That's yeah, good. It's brilliant, isn't it? Until they sold out to Wonga and the likes. Yeah. <laughs> Me, and Mark Ashley did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my next one. It, they weren't sponsors very long, but it looks so cool when when they were. 
was Nintendo and Fiorentina. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just remember every kid I know who liked computer games, like, got to get a Fiorentina shirt. It's got Nintendo on it. <laughs> like, do you even know who Fiorentina yeah. are? No, I don't care. I just like the shirt. Yeah, yeah. Love that. <laughs> okay. Um, my next one is um, Wolfsburg with Volkswagen. They've had that since 1991. Climate, didn't they? That long. Nice German. Uh, German sponsor for German team, eh? Yep. All right, next up, I've gone for Barcelona with UNICEF. I considered it, but uh, it didn't make my list. I think it's really iconic that you got such a rich club and they decided not to take a sponsorship deal, but instead promote a charity. I think that's uh, that's pretty iconic in itself. Yeah, to be honest. Fair enough to them, isn't it? I remember it took me a while to... Get used to seeing Barcelona with a sponsor on the shirt. Yeah. <laughs> seeing them with a plain shirt, and then all of a sudden they've got UNICEF plastered all over it. Oh. Yeah, yeah. No, I liked it. I thought it was a nice touch. Yeah, I did, yeah. I, I, this one's on my list for obvious reasons. Is I've gone Carlsberg, Liverpool. Oh, very good. I just, the logo itself just looks cool. And seeing it, I remember having it on Liverpool shirts as kids, so I just loved it. Standard chart is just not the same. No, no. When you see a Liverpool shirt with Carlsberg written on it, what do you think of? Um, I just think of shit Danish beer. (laughs) It is shit Danish beer, but it's shit Danish beer with a good logo. Well, we've had some shit goalkeeping in the past, so how's that? You can have your goalkeeper jersey sponsored by Carlsberg. Yeah, I remember buying ones, the Danish James one, you know, like the fireworks one. Oh. Those were the days. Um, mine's actually gone back a bit. I did a bit of digging into it, and I went with Crown Paints for Liverpool. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I thought about yeah. that one. They were like <laughs> from 82 to 88, and they actually, with that one, four league titles, one FA Cup, three League Cups, two Community Shields, and one European Cup. So, And I just thought it was funny that when I first saw it when I was younger, I was like, what is there just like a, a man who's just a painting man called Mr. Crown or something that they're sponsoring? Brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, I just thought it was that. that but just... um, what, what have you got, Dan? Uh, Inter Milan, Pirelli. Yeah, I'll that's on my list as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I thought you both might have that one actually. It's just probably a... the most iconic shirt sponsor, to be honest. Possibly. Yeah. yeah, probably. It probably is. You're right. But yeah, from 1995 to present day, and it's such a massive Italian brand of car tyre as well. Yeah. And to have a top Italian team having that uh, relationship, it's, I think it's just uh, really iconic. I, I did read it's under threat. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. But... Okay. Um, you said my other two, but the, uh, there's one I was also going to talk about anyway. It was JVC Arsenal. Yeah. I'll just throw that in there. No, I am. Um, I I'll be honest with you. Um, I had uh, Walker's Crisps for Leicester because we've got the Walker's Crisps factory. It's been the sponsor. It was a sponsor for years, wasn't it? Well, that's how it used to be. It used to be you'd have a, a local company sponsoring your club. Yeah, yeah. My number one. I've gone for Red Bull Salzburg. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, yeah, 
exactly take taken over um, the stadium the name of the club have taken branding to a new level haven't they uh, red bull and they didn't stop at salzburg either they also got uh, new york and leipzig, leipzig. yeah under their banner yeah. so yeah i think in terms of sponsorship and being iconic and synonymous with football now as well as other sports but yeah that's um, gone right to the top of the list in my opinion you didn't fancy mentioning sports director or anything like that then no funny enough <laughs> no, <fine. laughs> budget brand <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, uh, I think that's all of them. Um, Chris, what have we got on the socials then? Yeah, so um, Alex has put uh, Newcastle Brown Ale Sharp. That's obviously my new, isn't it? JBC, Walker's Chris and Candy. Yeah. Uh, Chris Kelly put Candy NEC. Was that Everton? That was Everton, yeah. 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 Uh, JBC, which we talked about. Newcastle Brown Ale and Sharp um, and Stu uh, from the Stu and Al Bob put Walker's Chris, Carlsberg, Cause. Who was sponsored? That was Chelsea. Cause? Was that Chelsea? Oh, yeah. Sharp. Yeah, Chelsea JBC. <laughs> JBC. Um, and then Roddy McCain just put iconic sponsor Sharp. And uh, that's it from the socials with that. Cool. Good picks there. No. Yeah, solid ones out. Right then, um, on to Walnut Watch then, please, Dan. All right. So the last time we spoke, they lost uh, 2-1 to uh, Swansea in circumstances that left Mr. Warnock quite frustrated. But they bounced back. They uh, managed a 2-0 win against Preston, an impressive 3-0 win against Stoke, and then the most recent game was a 1-0 defeat at Millwall. So they're still in ninth position and they're six points from the playoff positions now. So they're not far away. They're now, still just the line touching distance, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're right up there still. So with those two wins, yep, put them in a good position. Uh, they lost the, the last game against Millwall, 1-0. And um, one that was quite frustrated on this one. He took three players off at the interval so he brought on uh, Mendes Lang, Duncan Watmore and Ashley Fletcher and then uh, saw a bit of an improvement in the second half, but they just couldn't get a breakthrough against Millwall's back line. And after the match, Warnock said, it was one of the most frustrating afternoons this season. The first half wasn't acceptable. The forwards were very poor. We're at Millwall and you've got to be determined. You've got to at least graft. And I didn't see that at all in the first half. Hence the changes and with Tav coming off injured as well, it took it from bad to worse. I thought there was a reaction in the second half and we played some decent stuff on a difficult surface without making clear chances. We got in some great positions, but the ball just didn't fall for us. There were some ricochets that fell to their men and we just couldn't get the goal. I felt the game was there to be won today, let alone get a point. Even at half-time, I thought it was there to be won. I've never been as disappointed in the strikers as I was today. They were absolutely non-existent in the first half. You can't play without strikers. I've got to bite my tongue a bit, but I didn't see any effort from the three of them. I can't tell you what it was, if I'm honest, but I've changed it at half-time because I wanted people who were at least going to put their head in it. I can accept things going against you, but I can't accept if uh, players don't put the effort in. But today was just unacceptable. Not just the three that I brought off, but there are actually two or three others that I could have brought off as well who I was disappointed in. Let's not kid ourselves. 
if we play like we did in the first half today, we're not going to get another point. So let's not start thinking about the playoffs just yet. Ooh, so, yeah. That's quite a harsh uh, kick up the, the bomb there, isn't it? Yeah, that's about his own team, not the referees for once. I wouldn't have wanted to be in um, that dressing room after that game by the size of things. Yeah, I think he... Uh, I'm not sure I ever want to be in a dressing room with him, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) So that that was the reaction to the Millwall game. Um, I've just got one more quote from this week, and that's uh, transfer speculation about um, Middlesbrough defender Dale Fry. The suggestion is that Burnley are plotting a £10 million summer move for him. And uh, Warner responded to that in the media by saying, I saw the figures mentioned. I mean, that wouldn't buy his left lace, let alone his body. <laughs> uh, uh, that, that, I mean, Bernie, I know I've got a bit of money now, but come on, <laughs> 10 million. <laughs> I'm sure Steve Gibson will be thinking a bit different to him. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's just got to hope he goes up then, isn't it? It's the roll of the dice of the championship. Thanks for that, Dan, anyway. Insightful life into Warnock as always. <laughs> Have we got any news on Pardew? Is he still alive? Pardew, yeah, I think so. I haven't even seen him do any um, interviews or anything, like any commentary or anything like that recently. So I guess he's just keeping his head, head down. Uh, I think he's not- waiting for a job like what Mick McCarthy's done at Cardiff. He's been absolutely flying, that club. You said he weren't going to last long in a, a few podcasts. I, 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 yeah, I can't believe it. I thought he was going to last about two minutes. There were well, rumours he was going to get the Portsmouth job, but that never actually materialised. You pardew? Yeah. Oh, blimey. So, top ten... Flops from the Premier League, 2010 onwards. How you found this one? Difficult. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I felt a bit scared about doing too much detailed research, or we could have had a top 50 that could have lasted about 10 episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah pretty I, much. There's just so many to choose from, isn't there? Yeah, I genuinely think I wrote down about 40 names by the end of me just having yeah. a brief look, to be honest. Yeah, it's like you suddenly wake up and think, oh, yeah, if you think of a club, it's like, oh, yeah, I've got that one and that one and that one, that one. <laughs> that's it. I mean, if you think of a club, um, quite often, you can think just like every person they signed was terrible at some stage. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like when, when QPR in the Premier League, for example. Yeah, I didn't even think of QPR. Well, well, <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, well, let's get started then. Um, I'll come to Chris first, as I went to Dan last oh. time. Okay, that's fine. Um, my first one is Ricky Van Walswinkle. Yeah, that's a good Striker bit. to Norwich. Um, signed from Sporting Lisbon for 8.5 million. This is going back to the 2013-14 season. Uh, the season before, uh, under Chris Hewton, Norwich finished a very respectable length in the league. So I think he went a little bit wild with uh, his spending which is unlike him for this guy anyway. He also went for Gary Hooper as well, who was at Celtic at the time, which I personally thought was a good signing at the time. But again, was another one that I don't think quite achieved uh, to 
what they thought it was going to be. Um, including with the signings by Nathan Redmond and Leroy Fair as well. Uh, the problem that um, Ricky Van Walswinkel had was that uh, he was bought to replace the cult hero, Grant Holt, who actually signed for Wigan, who were back in the championship that season. So it's a very uh, difficult job for him to try and replace him. However, he started well. He scored on his debut against Everton in a two-all draw. But apparently, he only had seven touches of the ball the whole of the game. And one was from the kickoff. That ended up actually being Ricky's only goal of the season. He had 15 starts and a further nine off the bench. But Norwich got relegated that season. Um, a lot of fans didn't particularly uh, take a shine to him. Uh, thought it was a bit overpriced and he looked, lacked um, an all-round game. And to be honest, if you looked at his stats at Sporting and in Holland before, they weren't particularly prolific. And obviously the big step up, which seems to be the issue from a smaller league where there's not as much competition to Premier League where it's bang, bang every single game up at a higher level, he really struggled to deal with. Uh, so he was um, obviously they were relegated to Championship. He was then sent on loan to St. Etienne the uh, following season to Real Betis on loan as well, um, before then moving to Vitesse Um And he's now at, um, at Basel in Switzerland. I think he's been there about three years. But yeah, I'll put him at my number 10 because one goal in 15 starts isn't going to make a lot of friends. And for 8.5 million for a club like Norwich, you need to at least be banging in, in my opinion, 10 goals to try and get any of that back. Oh, that's a good yeah. shout. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's a good start. I remember how lightweight he looked when he came on. Yeah. Yeah, he just looked a bit lost. The, the way that Hewton played was one up front, and he just wasn't the guy that would be able to hold up a ball, I'm afraid. He probably was yeah. the guy that would play better with two, being one of the two. But And he wasn't quick enough to get behind defences either. No. No. Yeah, not a good sign. It's a bit of a nightmare. I was surprised that Hooton went with him, to be honest, but because he's normally so sort of um, more calculated, isn't he, and shrewd with his signings. But hey ho, Ian Ferguson made a made a wrong one, didn't he? So <laughs> Dan, what you got for us? All right, number ten. I've gone for Jack Rodwell. Oh, oh yeah, I've gone a bit higher. Oh, where you put him? I've got my number four. Oh, you can talk about it if you want. It's fine. Okay, I've not written a great deal. Uh, just that he um, started off at Everton, where he was a very promising young player, had some impressive performances early in his career, and it earned him a twelve million pound switch to Man City in two thousand twelve. Uh, he was there for a couple of seasons, but uh, due to injuries and a lack of opportunities in the first team, he only managed sixteen appearances for Man City. And then he was transferred to Sunderland for £10 million to try and uh, get his career back on track. That was in 2014. And they signed him on to a five-year deal for £70,000 per week. Now, um, Sunderland, uh, they didn't do too well and they were relegated. And Rodwell, he didn't really put his stamp on the team. He didn't progress as we all thought he would do when he was a young player at Everton. And he just sort of became one of the starters who um, 
was almost on the fringes of the first team, really. But uh, what was interesting is that when Sunderland were relegated, the whole squad had a clause in the contract that they'd take a 40% pay cut in the event of relegation, except for Jack Rodwell, who was on £70,000 a week. Have you both seen the Sunderland Till I Die series? I sure have. (laughs) This all all came to a head when... um, they were struggling financially. They were had their hands tied behind the back where they couldn't sign any new players. And they had Rodwell, who wasn't playing at championship level. And he was their highest earner. And the club was trying to plea with him to leave, <laughs> just to find another club so they can get him off the wage bill so he could actually be playing and enjoy his football again. And then it would help the club as well. And um, he was heavily criticised for taking a paycheck and not playing. And to sink to that level from being a promising young player at Everton, I mean, if, if that doesn't make him a flop, I don't know what does. <laughs> no, One I of the main reasons why it's higher up. No, no, I totally agree. Totally agree. But, you know, we're picking from about 50 names here. Yeah, yeah. No, no, it's no, hard no. to... There's, there's <laughs> no right wrong answer this week, I don't think. Yeah. I'll be honest with you, I totally forgot about the whole Sunderland debacle. I was looking at his more as Man City um, transfer, and that's why I left it. But remembering what he did there, I thought it's not ethically particularly fair, in my opinion. I know they've got a short shelf life, but 70 grand, I mean, you know, you, you're sort of sorted there, aren't you, for life? I, yeah. just, I, I just remember that scene where the CEO of Sunderland was like, right, can you, you know, please move on, help the club out, you know, do your bit, you know. And then like the end of the episode, it's sort of like, he walks into the office and he's got a text from Jack Rodwell or something. And then this bit, like, he slams the door and swears and a bit of text comes up saying, Jack Rodwell's staying. Crack <laughs> <laughs> me up. It's amazing <laughs> that all was stayed in the documentary, really. I'm really glad it did. It was incredible it, to watch. To me, it was almost like a mockumentary. It really was. <laughs> no, the way I, I, I actually thought at times, are oh, they actually got a script? I'm... <laughs> um, no, I think maybe I the mean, second series. Let me see where you're coming from with that other guy who came in. Yeah, it was a bit David Brent. Yeah, yeah. yeah At times yeah. you're just sort of like, "What on earth?" And and it's just sort of, you know, I I feel de- I felt deeply sorry for the Sunderland fans. I mean, yeah. you've got so many loyal. I mean, up north, like the Newcastle and Sunderland. I mean, you couldn't even, you know, you couldn't bet on how bad a management they had <laughs> with both of the managers. I mean, not managers, sorry, the directors and the owners, sorry. Yeah, the way the club was run, it was eye-opening, wasn't it? It was. It was really quite scary, actually, that you could be that quickly sort of gone like that straight away. Just like, I mean, not not being too much onto the the documentary, we could talk about that, obviously, maybe on another (laughs) podcast, but like the Will Grigg thing, I mean, that was just mad, to be honest with you. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's almost something like Chan Man, <laughs> you know, just like you're up in the offer. <laughs> you just think, I really need this guy. <laughs> but anyway, sorry, I digress. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's funny. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good one. <clears throat> He's at Sheffield United now, isn't he? Doing very little, I think. Yeah. Or has he actually gone, gone to Sheffield United? Yeah. Okay. Mm. Wow. <laughs> Okay, so my number 10 is Thiago Manuel Diaz-Correa. You heard of him? 
Oh, let me, I'll, I'll give you his nickname, Bebe. Oh, okay. Does he feature at all? No. No. I've put him on one of my lists in the past. Chris looks a bit lost. You right there, Chris? Yeah. Yeah, so what was his name again? Bebe. Oh, Bebe, yes, yes. Now I know who you mean, sorry. Yeah, I, 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 yeah I, I think um, I remember it being on one of the, the lists I thought. Yeah, I'll put him on my list for shocking transfers in the past. <laughs> but go ahead, Dan, please, if you've got anything else to add. Yeah, I mean, he was... Um... Obviously, he was he was a homeless player, and he he did he did quite well in some tournaments. So he was signed by Victoria Guamares, who snapped him up on free. They immediately inserted a three million release clause. Um, however, he then had a storming pre-season, so they quickly renegotiated it and inserted a nine million release clause. And they even tried to insert the fifteen million, but by that point, Man United, Madrid, and various other top clubs got interested in him. And they ended up being signed by Man United, by Sir Alex Ferguson, uh, without actually ever being seen. And they stumped up $7.92 million for him. And so basically, uh, uh, Guamara has had this player for 48 days, and they managed to make a $7.92 million profit on him. And it, it wasn't long before you know, ridicule rained down on Ferguson. And I think Bebe's first appearance was a substitute Come on for Owen Hargreaves after just 10 minutes against Wolverhampton because he got injured. Um, and then he was so bad that Ferguson subbed him off later in the game because he, he was <laughs> awful. And he managed to spend four years on the books at Old Trafford, but he played just seven times. Um, he managed two goals in that period, none in the Premier League, I don't think. Um, but yeah, um, for someone like Manchester United, especially Ferguson, to stump up seven million, or like, well, nearly eight million back in 2010. Um, probably quite a bit of money. That's a bit, a bit surprising, and he's he's at number ten because technically, no one really knew who he was, so he can't really flop. But for eight million at Manchester United, he'd expect something in return. It, it surprised me because it was one of his. Uh, he made a few mistakes, like I said earlier on, you know, and he was very shrewd with his business, wasn't he? And he, the people that he went for would have been people that aren't necessarily unknowns or they've gone up on that other step in the ladder, proved themselves, and then he would then go for them. But to go for a total unknown, I thought was quite um, a brave punt and something that I didn't think Man United needed to do in, the, in his time, to be fair. But, no. Yeah, you're right. Um, I didn't actually write it down, but... I. I, I did have a quick look and Bebe did actually do all right after he left Man United. Yeah, I think he yeah. was um Benfica. Yeah, I think he went well. to someone like Lagana or Levante or something and he's done done okay there. But he was definitely not a Man United player though, was he? <laughs> definitely not. To throw it back in again. Carrick to Tunnicliffe who has room and also has players in red with him. Berbatov's one of them. So is Vermeil here. Can he put it back for Powell? It might come for Bebe! United leave it late as ever. But Bebe scores. And United equalise. OK, Chris, what's your number nine? Yeah, sure. I've got mine is uh, Morgan Schneiderlin. I'm um, talking about Man United. 
his move from Southampton to Man U in 2015 for 25 million. I didn't even think about him, to be honest. You got that one? No. 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 Yeah, yeah. Obviously, before that, he had uh, seven years at Southampton and he got them basically from Division 1 in the English leagues uh, all the way up to the Premier League. I think him and Milano are the only people that, that did that. And he was a new signing by Louis van Gaal. At that time, obviously, van Gaal wanted to put his stamp on it after the third year or so. He bought um, Bastian Zweigsteiner as well. Schweinsteiger, <laughs> sorry, couldn't get more. But obviously, um, at that time, they also had competition from the vice-captain at the time, Mr Michael Carrick and Andrew Serrera. He still managed to make 25 starts that season and four off the bench. But obviously, after Van Hal left, was placed by um, Jose Mourinho. Uh, Morgan Schneiderlin lost his place and only had three starts the following season. His ex-manager, Ronald Koeman, uh, came in for him uh, whilst he was managing Everton and um, bought him uh, in January uh, due to the lack of playing time that he had at Man United and then obviously went on to, to Everton. I think it was for about £20 million. So I put him at number nine because, again, I didn't particularly think he was quite Man United standard and... Um, and I've just found that he only lasted the season. And then as soon as the change of manager came, it was sort of ended very abruptly. So that's why I put him in my number nine. That's another solid one. Yeah. I totally forgot about him. Okay. What's he, what's he doing now? Uh, he's at Nice. He went on to Everton and I don't think he did particularly well at Everton. No, he didn't. No, he had a stinker at <laughs> um, Everton then as he's well, just he? moved this summer to Nice. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't think he, he's gone on a bit of a free fall um, since his Southampton days. But again, if Man United come calling, you're not going to turn them down, are you? Necessarily. Okay, for my number nine, I've gone for Ben Gibson. Okay. Oh yeah, his uh, Burnley days or lack of. Yeah, Burnley days. So. It was a youth player at Middlesbrough, and he, he made a lot of uh, appearances there, made a, a good reputation for himself. England under-21 international as well. And in 2018, Burnley snapped him up for £15 million, which was a club record fee for Burnley. Now, um, he struggled to get into the team initially uh, due to a hernia injury, and then also the form of Ben Mee and James Tarkovsky meant it was difficult for him to get an opportunity in the first team. And uh, Sean Dyche, he doesn't really stray from his first-team selection much. Uh, Gibson was uh, unhappy at not getting many first-team opportunities, uh, but eventually he did get a game against Everton. And fortunately for him, it ended up in a 5-1 defeat. Uh, he never pl- he hasn't played for Burnley since. He fell out with Dyche over not getting selected, and he ended up training away from the club. He was training at Middlesbrough, and he hired his own training team uh, to try and um, give himself the best opportunity of uh, getting to full fitness and getting back uh, into first-team football. Uh, This season, he's been loaned out to Norwich. 
He's been making appearances for them, expected to be back in the Premier League next season. But in terms of his transfer to Burnley for £15 million, making one game for the club record signing, <laughs> it's not very good reading, is it? It's I'm mad. I don't get. I don't get it, mate. I'll be honest with you with that because, again, like I, I've said, especially Burnley, they're very shrewd with their money and to splash out that much. And I don't. I've I've seen Ben Gibson play when he was at Middlesbrough, and I thought he's a he's a half decent player that could do yeah. okay at play at Burnley. But obviously, there's been some sort of massive issue with him and Dyche. Yeah. You don't get dropped after one game. You know, if you make your debut and you have, have a crap game, you don't then just get shipped out of the club, especially when you forked out that amount of money. So there's definitely more going on. You you yeah. look at what Taibi did, mate. He, he <laughs> effed up a few times and he's... Abue <laughs> <laughs> was the mainstay of the Arsenal back line for I don't know how long. How rubbish was he? You know, there's... <laughs> And also, Burnley to splash out fifteen million—that is yeah. like it's big money for them. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's the that's yeah, the really club record signing. Yeah, yeah. The shit, game, he's off. Norwich, <laughs> I've had enough of him. <laughs> now this this could be wildly different than I thought. Um, my number nine—I've gone for Benjamin Mendy. That's an interesting one there, Hank. Come on, let's uh, hear this one. Mm. He, was, he was, I mean, he signed for 52 million um, from Monaco after they had that amazing season. Um, and I think 52 million, correct me if I'm wrong, is still a record left back transfer fee, possibly. It's certainly up yeah. there. I would probably say it's up there. Can't think yeah. of any other left backs. I mean, Chilwell didn't go for that much, did he? No, not quite. He was about 50, I think. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough. And he's he's been at a city for four years. This is his fourth season, and he's he struggled to remain fit, and he hasn't managed to make twenty appearances for a club in a single season yet. He made uh, he's made sixty one in total, I believe. There's nineteen in the Premier League. He's made seven in his first season, ten in his second, nineteen in his third, and he's currently on eight. Um, and already he's had an injury problem. I think he's had something like fourteen different injury problems. And that's pretty much all I have. But there was a there was a funny video that went viral when uh, Man City beat Liverpool in the League Cup. Was that he hasn't played that much that even the stewards didn't recognise him because he ran on to celebrate <laughs> with the um, players and he got tackled by them. <laughs> uh, that's a good one. But yeah, I just think for you know you spend fifty two million on left back and he barely made you know struggles to make ten appearances. Every season, it's not good business. No, it's not. I thought no. he made a good start. He um, he was getting quite a few assists with his crossing ability, yeah. but this season especially, he's been he's been dropped this season. He's uh, yeah. I think his second choice behind Zinchenko now. Yeah, and they've even played um, Cancelo at left back. Yeah, rather than start Mendy on some occasions. I find he's he's got an attitude problem, in my opinion. I think he's. I think if he got his head down and instead of going with for the social media side <laughs> and maybe got his head down on the football side, he is actually a very good player. But I think he likes to stray away from that sometimes and has got 
other agendas and Pep's not going to take that, is he? And like you said, it would just be knocked down and down. Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest with you, I could have copied and pasted about three different Man City signings into my number nine, but <laughs> I chose I chose Mendy in the end. I think you've been very kind. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was give, this was giving me a headache, mate. I'll be honest with you, this list. <laughs> I think we might need to sort of categorise it going um, the North West uh, top ten flops. <laughs> oh, I think we just need to do it by club. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we for sure Good stuff. Yeah. Started <laughs> the second half as they ended the first, but they can't find a goal. They can now. Benjamin Mendy, a collector's item with the right boot. It's his second goal of the season. And it's a precious one for the Blues. Okay, uh, number eight, Dan. Uh, Chris, sorry. Yeah, no worries. Mine, you see, I had the same thing with you, Anne. It was either this guy or another guy, which <laughs> might come up later. But I've gone with Ahmed Musa at Leicester. And he, was, he was signed for £16 million in August uh, 16 from CSK Moscow. He had four seasons um, in Moscow, had 167 appearances, 55 goals over that. His actual uh, debut was that wonder goal, if you remember, especially Dan, in the 4 2 defeat uh, to Barcelona in the Intercontinental Cup. But mm, he picked that. the ball up in, mid- in the halfway line and took on the whole of the Barca defence with his pace, which there's no denying he he had. <laughs> he had great pace, didn't he? Yeah. However, uh, his his league form wasn't great, only scoring a double away at Everton in his first season. Uh, he was fa- found um, a lot either on the bench, because obviously the first choice was Jamie Vardy, or on the wing. But then you also got competition there with Albrighton and Mares. So it's going to be very difficult to dislodge them yeah. at that time. But unfortunately, City fans saw Musa run the ball straight into touch quite a lot and also saw him pass the ball out of play from two yards and shoot so wide that it was a throw-in. That's some of the comments <laughs> I've heard. <laughs> Obviously, due to his lack of playing time, he lost confidence and, like I said, he was... He was trying to dislodge Mares and Albrighton, and it just wasn't working. And he also struggled due to his size with the physicness, physicalness of uh, sorry, the Premier League. Uh, so in January 2018, he was loaned back to CSK Moscow and then sold, amazingly, to Saudi outfit Al-Nazar for 15 mil. So he only made a £1 million loss out of the whole of that transfer. But I'll just put him there because it was the first season, I think, after you were champions and you're expecting so much more. And to me, I thought he bailed when the going got tough because I saw him in the World Cup a couple of years later and he was banging goals in for Nigeria for fun. So, yeah, to me, the talent was always there, but I just don't think he wanted to graft to get there. And that's my personal opinion. So that's why I put him at number eight. 
Yeah, see where you're coming from. He definitely didn't make the grade. I, I personally thought he was played out of position. I think he needed to play centrally as a, yeah. either a, a striker or a supporting striker. And that wasn't really how Leicester utilised him. No, he, he wasn't ever going to dislodge Vardy, was he, to be honest? And oh, no. He spent, he's spending quite a lot of money to try, you know, for backup, which I'm sure we will all have on our list for other backups for the clubs. And you want someone to slot in and be able to do the job. And unfortunately, it didn't seem like he did or he wanted to wait. So, yeah, that's why I put him there. No, fair enough. No foul or strikers for Leicester in this second half. There he is. Here's uh, Musa, who's a club record signing. He's going to show that. A great burst and a terrific finish. All right. Uh, for my number eight, I've gone for Christian Benteke. I considered him. Yeah, so he obviously had a very good spell at uh, Aston Villa and. Uh, scored quite a few impressive goals there good scoring record and he earned a big money move to Liverpool that was for uh, 27 million pounds and he didn't have a good time at Liverpool though he scored 26 goals in 129 appearances now personally I think this is because he didn't suit the style of football I think he was more of a big man in the box striker and needed the service but Liverpool were playing a bit more of a passing style relied a bit more on movement. I don't think he fit the system very well. But they managed to um, recoup their money. Uh, I think it was £25 they got by selling him to Crystal Palace. Now, Crystal Palace, I'll I'll run through his goals per season. Uh, In 2016-17, he got 17 goals in 40 appearances. So, good. But then things went downhill. The next season, he got three goals in 31 appearances. Then one goal in 19 appearances. Two goals in 25 appearances, five goals in 23 appearances. So it's not good enough, really, is it? That's a lot of money for Crystal Palace to play. He's one of their main strikers, and it's just returned so little. Uh, The goals he has scored for them, it's again being used as a big man striker, really, in the box. And for me, his, his movement is really poor. He's not very mobile anymore. And technically, I don't see that he's got much quality with the ball at his feet. I think um, for £25 million, he's a bit of a glorified target man at best. I found that he's very much a confidence player as well. He, I, I followed him when he was at Villa. If you looked, and I, I've got a couple of friends that were Villa fans, and if you looked at the pattern of his scoring, he used to go 10 games without a goal, and then suddenly he would then pop up in like, six or seven games with then maybe like 10 goals and then he'll go then disappear again because he's then lost his confidence. And like you said, I mean, it's just not good enough really for a team like Palace where they, they need somebody who, who has that outlet to score as their main striker, 15 odd goals, you know, and then it puts so much pressure on Wilf Zaha, doesn't it? Or other players. If you don't have your main striker, that's not scoring the goals. The only thing so he's known for that team is holding the ball up. And that's that's it, really. Um, people like Zaha and Eze, uh, they're carrying that team as ball carriers. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. it's hard to watch at times, isn't it? it? Yeah, I mean, it's big. Obviously, they've got to do some a lot of work there, haven't they, next season to try and bring in some fresh faces. 
just have to wait and see with that. It was odd because when Ben Teke first went to Liverpool, I mean, he scored an absolute worldie in pre-season. Yeah. Then he scored that bicycle kick against Man United. You're thinking, this, this guy's, you know, going to hit form. And then that was it. It was like, yeah. didn't really do anything after that. The old header. Yeah, the old header, yeah. <laughs> but again, it's a it's a sort of like Ricky Lambert thing, though, isn't it, with Liverpool? We, 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 didn't, we didn't suit his style of play or both no, of those no. players' style of play. We've not got a big... When have we ever had a big lump up, up front that holds up the ball? I mean, you know, we've, that's really their main objective. We've been, that's just not how Liverpool have played for years. You know, even Crouchy, when he was up front, had the skills to be a bit diverse. Yeah, yeah he did, yeah. <laughs> even Heskey had a bit of pace on him. Exactly. You had a bit of difference, didn't you? A bit of variety. Even Sven put Heskey on the wing. <laughs> <laughs> That was a downfall. That was the beginning of the end. Of <laughs> He's one of England's best wingers. Thank you very much. <laughs> he wasn't one of Liverpool's best wingers. <laughs> but yeah, just just to just to cap off the madness with Ben Teke, he played for Belgium this week. Yeah. I well, can't no, believe that. Actually, <laughs> is still playing for Belgium. No, I but that's us speaking to Belgium. But mate, that's the problem. The picking between Bashrari or Ben Teke is like. <laughs> Who you got to pick? <laughs> I, mean, I know they want to rest Lukaku, but is that really the best they can do as a backup option? It must be someone better, surely. All right, so my number eight is... I was on the fence whether to put this one in or not, um, but I've gone with Ricky Alvarez, Sunderland. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I forgot about is that the power one, going? This is a good story. Yeah. <laughs> He's certainly got a story to him. So he was signed by Sunderland on loan for 900000 during 2014. Um, the loan had a clause that um, meant that Sunderland could buy Alvarez at the end of the season as long as they stayed in the Premier League. Um, and he also, this Alvarez guy, had a bothersome left knee, which nearly prevented him from passing medical. So he played 13 games for Sunderland, uh, most of them coming against teams in the bottom half of the table. He failed to score a single goal or create, a, or create an assist. He then suffered an injury to his right knee, which he had undergone micro-fracture surgery years earlier. Anyway, Sunderland stayed up and they tried to get out of this obligation to buy him, claiming that the right knee was a product of the left knee troubles. And basically some of them were told no you've got to pay into Milan um, for him so they paid 9.5 million for him but at the same time because of this Alvarez um, of Sunderland well Sunderland basically said well we're not going to offer him a contract um, so Alvarez was then a free agent and he signed for Sampdoria on a free transfer but Sunderland still had to pay the 9.5 million to Inter Milan <laughs> Yeah, and by the time it had been resolved in the courts, he was already playing for Sampdoria and Sunderland had to stump up nine million. Yeah. Are you kidding me? This is the sort of, this is the, the ludicrousness of that got Sunderland in their position that they were in. It doesn't end there though. What? So they lost their claim in Inter. Um and then Velez Sarsfield, who had helped develop Alvarez early in his career, successfully sued Sunderland to receive three hundred and six uh, three hundred and sixty two thousand in, in in, in payments and then on top of that Alvarez himself took Sunderland to the court of arbitration of sport to sue the club for his loss of earnings between his time with Sunderland and Sampdoria 
So then the amount of money they forked out on this guy who's only played 13, 13 games and did oh nothing. Oh, God. <laughs> Sunderland yeah. did then try to sue. Piece of work he is. Yeah, Sunderland, <laughs> Sunderland did then try and sue their own former club doctor for 13 million to try and recoup their losses. Um, I couldn't actually find out if they were successful with that or not. Probably I'm not. they weren't as he went on to play for Sampdoria. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it was it just an absolute flop. mess. Yeah, wow. pretty story, though. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess you can call him a flop. <laughs> yeah, that's if you look I mean. behind all the suing and counter-suing. <laughs> you think if you spend you know that amount of money on a striker, you'd at least score a goal against Swansea or QPR or wherever they played. Yeah. Interesting to see Ricky Alvarez come as well. The fact he's come from Inter Milan... Instantly grabs the attention. What what does he bring? Well, Ricky is um, he's an excited player to watch. Uh, technically gifted, he, he can do things with the ball that the rest maybe they cannot. Uh, you know the, that that's past the last assist. The uh, options that sometimes when a team really drops and make it difficult to break, he got the ability to to break those lines and and, and give us something special. If, if we play well, if we maintain position, if we make sure that Ricky gets the ball in the right areas, I think it's gonna be it's gonna be great to watch. Okay, uh, we're back to Chris. Yeah, uh, number seven. I've got Kevin Wimmer for, to Stoke. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, you're so gonna be obscure tonight. Yeah, oh, no, I've gone very. I forgot about him. Well, he's bought bought from Spurs for for eighteen million. <laughs> wow! One of uh, Mark Hughes's bright ideas, I think. I, I did um, laugh at the time. <laughs> it was absolute madness. I mean, I'll be honest. They Spurs only played him two times. Um, sorry, fifteen times in two years, and he was bought to Spurs uh, for about four million. Uh, the funny enough, the Stoke board had reluctance to pay that much, but Hughes actually persuaded uh, persuaded them in saying he's going to be an outstanding signing. So he played 14 times, but then Hughes got sacked and was replaced by uh, Paul Lambert. So unfortunately, Paul Lambert obviously did, took a disliking to him and told him to sort of train on his own and um, relegated him to the under-23s. And um, he had no more appearances with Stoke from then on. He was then put on loan to Han- Hanover 96, which is a Bundesliga big team. And then uh, it to uh, Mascron in Belgium. And he's con- currently on loan at Karlsruhe SC, which is also a Bundesliga B team. So, unfortunately, his um, sort of career has taken a bit of a turn downhill. I just thought for the fee alone, it's just absolute madness by Stoke, isn't it? They've they've gone absolutely big there and it just didn't work out for them because they got relegated at the end of the season anyway. Not surprisingly with Paul Paul Lambert at the ship in charge of the ship. But but yeah, so I put him a bit higher because I just thought the fee alone is just mad. And he only played fourteen games for them. It's not even a million a game. It's more. 
Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a brilliant one. I completely forgot about that guy. Yeah. I just came across it randomly. I thought, I've got to put him in because it's just <laughs> a mad, mad times. But you see, that's when Stoke were trying to change the way that they played for like five years, wasn't it? They're trying to play more attractive yeah. football and it just wasn't wasn't Stoke, was it? No, that's right. Yeah. All right, for my number seven, I've gone for Granite Jacker. Oh, okay. So um, he was signed by Mr. Wenger for £30 million in 2016. Yep, you're both looking at me, and uh, yeah, he, he he is a thirty million pound player. <laughs> so well, I was I was confused initially when um, this transfer went through, and I was watching him play for Switzerland in an um, international competition, and I was struggling to see how um, his skill set matched the playing identity they had at Arsenal. Yeah. You know, traditionally, quite a continental passing style, and this guy, I just didn't see it. Um, I think Wenger talked about his range of passing, but I didn't see it, and I never, never have, if I'm honest. <laughs> He's more of a more of a hard man midfielder. Oh, right, that passing, that's brilliant. <laughs> yeah, totally agree. Yeah. Totally agree. I'm Gladback. I bet you they absolutely bit their hand, his hand off, and he offered that because well, all yeah, I is. see is just a bit of a, like you say, a hard man in defensive mid who just does the simple stuff and nothing really more. To be honest, yeah, I've, I've jotted down a few notes on um, things that have gone wrong for him at Arsenal. Where he um, in North London derby, he gave away a penalty by fouling uh, Son Heung Min, and it cost the game. He was accused of standing on the edge of the box and watching Tom Cleverley strike a winner in a two-one defeat against Watford. And uh, in the 2017-18 season. He was ranked number one in the Arsenal squad for yellow cards received, fouls made, and times dribbled past, and tackles lost. And uh, it, was, it was after these stats emerged that uh, the fans started to turn against him. And uh, he suffered a barrage of uh, abuse on social media from Arsenal fans, mostly about the way he plays football. And uh, this all culminated in uh, that famous incident where he was substituted off the pitch against Crystal Palace and he was jeered by his own fans and he reacted angrily and telling them to, to F off and <laughs> threw his shirt down and he was uh, he was stripped of the captaincy and dropped for his actions and that's a two-all draw with Crystal Palace in 2019. And I bet you those two games he was dropped for Arsenal won. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's funny you should say that, but because um, I've, I've noted here that um, <laughs> although he did return to the first team and uh, he had he had a run in the team uh, in December 2020 against Burnley, he was sent off for the ninth red card of his career for grabbing Ashley Westwood by the throat in a match, and um, a lot of the Arsenal fans took to social media to express their relief that they wouldn't have to see him playing for the next three games. <laughs> <laughs> So this, this, is a, this is a thirty million pound player that just they don't want to see playing for, <laughs> and he's he's made a lot of mistakes and um, he's not played well. No. A lot of my friends are Arsenal fans, and none of them talk positively about him. No, and it's no surprise really. <laughs> it was like the, his little back pass the other day against um, 
can't remember who it was against. Someone recently in West Ham, where he just passed it across the box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely a flop. Some Arsenal fans actually cheering as they take off uh, their captain, Granit Xhaka, who looks rather unimpressed by being hauled off at this stage. He's going to be replaced by Bukaya Saka, who started the last four Premier League games. And Saka's reaction there, not good. Not good at all as he's virtually jeered off by his own fans. Comes off. Xhaka is away down the tunnel, booed by the Arsenal fans. Okay, so my number seven, um, going across the other side of North London, I've gone Robert Soldado. Yeah. I thought of him, you know, but yeah. <laughs> So uh, he was signed for £26 million. He was in the um, peak of his career as well. He was only about 26, 27 when he signed. He had just scored 59 goals in 101 games for Valencia. And he started his Spurs career pretty well. Uh, he, he scored from the penalty spot. Couldn't seem to score from open play. And I think in his first season, he only scored two from open play and he only scored six in total. Four of them were penalties. Yeah, for a striker, that amount of money and... You know, for that calibre, you'd expect a bit more for him. In his second season, he didn't really do much more than that. And so they quickly cut the losses and shipped him back off to Villarreal. But, you know, it was just such a shame because I remember he was he was such a phenomenal striker in Spain and he was just another one that came over here and couldn't seem to hack the, the pace of the Premier League. Hmm. I'll give him some credit. I'll, I'll feel a bit sorry for him because it coincided with the... Uh, Emergence of a certain Harry Kane in the second oh, yeah. season. So. Yeah, yeah. No, you got to cut him a little bit of slack, but still, <laughs> the money they spent, I'll, I'll imagine Daniel Levy would have wanted a bit more from him. All right, so back to Chris. Yeah, well, lovely 10 years uh, link there, mate, because I've gone with Vincent Janssen at number oh. six. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you guys got this guy on or no? No, no it was either him or Soldado. So. I know, it was either him or Soldado. That's how I went the other way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so he's signed for Spurs from, uh, sorry, for Spurs from AZ in uh, July uh, 2016 for 17 million. Janssen was believed to have chosen Tottenham over rival interest from PSG. And also Wolfsburg. Um, the season before, he actually scored 27 goals in 34 games for AZ Gautmar and also scored on his international debut against England and also assisting in their 2-1 win. Uh, a lot of people related to his style of play was uh, similar to Ruud van Nistelrooy. So in his first full season, he only managed to score two goals in 27 Premier League appearances. Out of those appearances, only only seven were starts and the others were 20 coming off the bench. He was basically bought as a reserve striker for Kane and that shattered his confidence with some injuries. He then went on to uh, go on loan to Fenerbahce and is now playing for Mexican club uh, Monterey. 
it, there is actually a quote about him, actually, uh, that he said about his time at Spurs. And he goes, in the end, I played quite a lot in the first season in the Premier League. And of course, I should have played more. But I went from Almere City to Tottenham in 11 months. There I was alone on the pitch among all these big names. For the first time, I had to deal with setbacks. And those are all the things that are quite difficult for a young boy. I think, to be honest, he was only 21 when he moved. So, so that says it all, really. But again, when you've got quite a big price tag on your shoulders, you've got to perform when you have your chances, especially if Kane's in front of you. <laughs> mm. You've got to do it, haven't you, every time. And unfortunately, I just think he fell a bit short. And it's similar to so many other players that we've said, haven't we, where they've moved from the Dutch league especially to the Premier League. It just seems like it's a bit too far. Yeah, 100%. I think a lot of people would have had him on their list. He was he was pretty terrible from what I observed. It just never looked like a Premier League striker, did he? He, he looked like a, a rabbit in headlights, didn't he, really? You know, every time, sort of, any chance, he just he just lost his confidence totally. Yeah. It was a bit like Ricky Van Walswinkle, just didn't really look the part in the Premier League. Exactly. Stones was the player that made the mistake to start with. So here he is, the top scorer in the Dutch first division. The real international rookie, Janssen, fires the Dutch level early in the second half. OK. Do you have a Spurs one for us, Dan, or are we moving clubs? We're staying in North London. Oh, I'm intrigued. Number, number six, I've gone for Fernando Torres. Oh, he's my number two. He's my number two. All right. We'll talk about him in a little bit. Chelsea's not North London. Oh, oh here we go. <laughs> no? No. <laughs> it's like southwest London. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Speaking of southwest London, uh, my number six um, is Kostas Mitroglou. Fulham. Oh, Fulham. Yeah. <laughs> Signed for £12 million from Olympiakos. Um, it was deemed quite an impressive signing at the time because he had just smashed in 17 goals in 19 appearances in the 13-14 season. Admittedly, it was the Greek league, but uh, it also bagged Hattrick in the Champions League and he had eight goals for Greece under his belt and seemed to be a mainstay on the national side. As a result, there was this huge air of excitement around Craven Cottage uh, they were desperate need for a striker, and they now had this proven international goal scorer, a big six foot two powerhouse whose nickname was Mitra Goal. But unfortunately, uh, fitness issues meant that he didn't feature until February 22nd during a crucial away match against West Brom. Fulham took off Hugo Rodelega, who, who was very energetic, and on came Mitra Logu with 61 minutes gone. And all of a sudden, this hard pressing of Rodelega up front vanished and was replaced by Mitchell Logu's laborious and plodding strides. And um, yeah, surprise, surprise, West Brom managed to get an equaliser. But 
he just every time he played, he just looked anonymous. I think he then played again against Cardiff in another crucial relegation clash. Did very little. He then missed the next seven matches with an injury. Um, and then it just became clear that he had more and more injuries as, as the season went on, which weren't addressed when Fulham signed him in January. So, you know, ultimately Fulham got relegated and they sent him out on loan. And all of a sudden he um, got back to business. He went back to Olympiacos. He scored 19 goals in 34 games. Um, then he went to Benfica and he got 25 goals in um, in, in his season with Benfica. And it prompted uh, Benfica to then buy him for six million. So at least Fulham got some money back for him. He's then gone on to score a further 20-odd goals for Benfica. And then he went off to Marseille for a relatively successful spell. Yeah, Premier League, he was just awful. For a team like Fulham, like we were talking about Burnley, a team like Fulham to spend 12 million on a player and to do nothing. It helped that they had Felix Felix McGath in, in charge at the time. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, they were, they were, that was like a panic buy to try and keep them in the division, wasn't it? Yeah. It didn't work. <laughs> no. Sometimes you win these panic buys and sometimes you lose them. Unfortunately, Fulham yeah. lost. That's a good one, mate. Yeah, it's spot on with your assessment. It, it was <laughs> his plodding, laborious style, as you described it. It's absolutely right. <laughs> Just like he provided absolutely nothing for the team. It was bizarre. Yeah. Lazy. Yeah. I just thought it looked quite lazy, to be honest. Yeah. So we're back to Chris. So my number five, yeah. Memphis Depay. I seem like I'm really um, dicking on Man United at the moment. But, <laughs> but yeah, he's my number five. Uh, is he in, on any of your lists at all? No. Uh, no, he wasn't. No. Okay, no worries. Uh, so, yeah, he was signed by Manu in 2015 for 25 mil from PSV. Previous season finished top scorer with 22 goals. you got to remember at the time he was only 21. Uh, manager Louis Van Gaal said he was forced into signing him early due to PSV, uh, due to PSG, sorry, sniffing around him. Uh, in his first season, Man United came fifth in the league, but there was competitions for places with, obviously, Wayne Rooney, Anthony Marshall. Uh, Depay made 27 starting appearances, plus 18 as a sub, but only scored seven goals, five of them in Europe. Uh, and he was given the actual nickname called uh, European Danger Man. Uh, following season... Like I said before, with other people, uh, Van Hal left and Jose Mourinho came in. Zatan Ibrahimovic joined the club. And I don't think Jose agreed with the way that Memphis played. So he only got four subs appearances. So he then just went off to, to Lyon uh, in January 2017 for 17 million. Uh, obviously, the pie is quite or I should say, very flamboyant. Uh, he's even made an op- opposition with a Rabuna once. And was very self-confident in his own abilities and he's even got a rap contract as well out of football. There you go, a bit more about him. 
he basically said that he was a bit too young to move to United at 21. Um, he's now matured a lot more and he wished he moved to Manchester probably a bit more later in his career. But I put him at number five because, you know, you pay 25 million, it's quite a lot of money. And it didn't quite work out for, for my new or Memphis. So that's why I put him there. For some reason, I always thought he did a right at Manchester United. Maybe. He, I don't think he quite... I think he did a right in Europe, didn't he, for them? Yeah, might that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah his, his, his Premier League style, it, it wasn't quite right. I mean, I, to be honest, I quite rate him as a player. I think he's a he's possibly a, a Premier League player. But again, he's he's got that streak in him where he's a little bit hit and miss. I don't know whether that would go down well with a lot of managers, if you know what I mean. Very flamboyant, I think, is the best way we can. Yeah. Okay, Dan. All right, I'm going to take my jab at Man United now. I'm going for <laughs> Alexis Sanchez. My well, number uno. <laughs> Fun number one. Okay. Sorry, Dan. Yeah, yeah, I hope your top three is that good because you've just taken my two and one out of the water, mate. So. <laughs> uh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Guess Go we'll be hearing down later then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, number five for me, I've gone with Andy Carroll. He was yeah. considered, but I thought, no. Yeah, he was uh, close, but didn't quite make the cut. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I will be honest, he was in danger of going off my list, but in the end, I stuck at number five. But... So he was signed for, at the time, a British transfer record of. 35 million when he moved from Newcastle to Liverpool. Um, obviously, Liverpool just sold Torres to Chelsea. More on that later. Um, and they apparently crunched the data with their money ball tactics and found that Andy Carroll's ability to score headed crosses to be worth £35 million. Um, per- personally, I think they probably went to Newcastle with something like £20 million. And Newcastle went, well, we know you've got £50 million, so... We'll meet you in the middle. It's probably what happened. Um, and to be fair, you know, Andy Carroll's a good player um, and he's he's a great header of the ball. Whether whether he ended up being £35 million worth, probably not, which is why he's my number five. Um, he scored... Um, he'd scored 11 goals that season for Newcastle in their first campaign back. Um, and I don't think he. I think he scored twice for Liverpool. Uh, only played nine times after his signing in that first season. Um, and his second season was slightly better. He scored nine times in forty-seven appearances in all competitions. Um, but for me, I mean, yeah, that's not that's not great. But for me, obviously, watched a lot of Liverpool at the time. The problem was he was a bit like Benteke. He was signed to score ahead of goals. Really, that's his strength. Liverpool didn't ever put a cross in the box. I remember watching Liverpool that, those two seasons. Since that. Even with Stuart Downing, never once put a cross in the box. But it, but that's a, that, that's the outrageous thing. You buy Stuart Downing, yeah, he's a, a quality cross yeah, of the ball. Yeah, no, no. But all he and wanted yeah, to do, Stuart Downing, was to do and, and score, yeah. score a goal. Liverpool's ethos was to play a pass into the middle instead of whipping a ball in. It's just madness. 
The only reason I left him out, to be honest, is because of the goals he actually scored for Liverpool. Didn't he score in a semi-final of the FA Cup? The winner yeah. against Everton, was it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. people... I mean, I, I've... I, you know, doing research... Yeah, there's, I've read articles. It, people have put Carroll down as the biggest flop of the Premier League. No chance. Because he's a good player. It, you know, like I said, his price was inflated because everyone knew Liverpool had a bit of money. Yeah, yeah and I, I left him off as well because he had some injuries. Yeah. yeah, there is obviously that as well. But... I, I do think he probably came a bit too early in his career. Yeah, probably. Always, always injuries were an issue with him, wasn't it? Like Even when you saw that West Ham. Had a great run in the team sometimes, scoring a few goals and an injury would then knock him back a couple of months or a couple of weeks. And that's the problem. It's just a shame, really, to be honest. I think there's always a good plan B with him. But he I've was always, never quite a Liverpool signing, though, was he? he yeah, I've always liked him as a player and I, I was quite happy yeah. when we signed him. It's just yeah. sort of the money side of it and whether he would fit with Liverpool. And it, you know, it just never sat right with me. Yeah, exactly. I thought if I left him off, I'd get ridiculed by you two. But you know, <laughs> <beat me> to... <laughs> <laughs> Didn't want to be Liverpool bias. <laughs> Wembley momentarily hushed. Bellamy it is. Okay, we're back to Chris. Okay, my number four is Wilfred Bonney. I don't know if you've got him on that one. No, he was considered. No, he's not on my list. Yeah, so he joined Man City in 2015 from Swansea for 28 mil. He was actually at that time the most expensive African footballer. That year, in 2014, he actually scored the most goals than anyone else of 20 goals. And so Manuel Pellegrini decided to obviously sign him in the January window. Like I said, he faced a bit of competition for starts with Aguero, Nacho, and Negredo there as well. So when he actually signed, he, he then went straight on to uh, representing Ivory Coast in the African Nations, which they prom- promptly won. But unfortunately, extended peri- periods on the bench didn't help. And he didn't really, like we were saying about Carroll, suit Man City's start of play at all. So Bonnet's only full season ended in six goals in 34 appearances. And also the addition of Sterling joining Man City caused even more competition, which made his sort of position at Man City intangible, really. So he was then loaned out to Stoke for a season and then sold back to Swansea for 12 million. So they still made quite a big loss of about 16 million. But I just found that 
you know, for that sort of value, you need to get more out of a player. And I just think that it was just like Ant said with Carroll, just wrong, wrong for the team. And really, shouldn't have been brought probably into the team. To be fair, yeah, it's a foolish signing, wasn't it? I think everyone knew it at the time. Just Man, seemed a bit knee jerk, though, didn't it? You know, January by just probably could have rid it out with the players you got. 28 million as well. It's a, a lot of money. And then he's going off to the African nation straight away. So he wasn't going to be available until the end of, and you know, sort of end of February, early March. Just found it being a bit ludicrous, really. Yeah, I agree. It's a foolish signing. Uh, didn't work out at all. Didn't suit Man yeah. City, really. Yeah, good choice. Okay. Hopefully we'll hear from Dan this time. Come on, Dan. Come on. You can do it. I need to pick someone who's not in your top three. Come on. You've got one chance now. You've got one chance. Come on. All right. Number four, I've gone for Joe Linton. I haven't got him. No. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, um, yeah, Newcastle stumped up £40 million for this Brazilian forward. Uh, He was uh, apparently signed because Bruce... Steve Bruce had indicated that he wanted a big centre forward who would be intimidated in the box and a genuine aerial threat. And he also wanted his striker to be young and athletic. But it didn't matter if he wasn't very good at scoring goals and passing the ball. (laughs) Those aren't qualities that Bruce is interested in. (laughs) Uh, What's also bizarre about this is that he'd played football in Austria and Germany and he'd never managed more than eight league goals in a season. So with this poor goal scoring record, it is somehow still cost them forty million pounds. It's just absolutely bizarre. I've uh, got some quotes here uh, from Andy Cole. Said he's, he's joined for a big price and he's found the Premier League a lot tougher than he expected. I think it's unlikely that he'll become a fifteen to twenty goal striker. And I've got a quote here from Alan Shearer who said he's not a centre forward. He doesn't even seem to want to get in the box. <laughs> It's true, it doesn't. <laughs> it's absolutely true, mate. At Hoffenheim, he was a left winger. You see, this this is the, the whole <laughs> thing. It's Rafa Benitez didn't veto the signing back back in his day because he didn't think he was good enough. And then you're giving this young lad who's not even a striker the number nine shirt at iconic shirts like we were saying with sponsors, but the number nine shirt at Newcastle. It's just ludicrous, isn't it? To put so much pressure on that lad. And he's out of position. He, he never had a good scoring record at Hoffenheim anyway. I, I just, you're just looking to just damage someone's career, aren't you? Really? Well, not to mention the Newcastle team. It's just mad. Yeah. It's, like it's every week. madness. Every week on Match of the Day, you know, they always show their graphic. And Joe Linton is never anywhere near the box. Because <laughs> he's never you know, he's a winger. a fundamental flaw in a striker there. <laughs> he's a no winger. I, he's just a big... He's like like we said with the Emil Heskey winger type. He's, that's what he does. No, but at least Heskey scored goals. Yeah. He's yeah just I've not... got no idea why they play him as a striker and why they paid £40 million for him. I don't think most Newcastle fans know why either, mate. And I don't think most Newcastle, to be fair, 
It's also incredible the fact that what's his name, Mike Ashley, stumped up forty million quid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That that was the reason why Rafa didn't re- renew his contract because they wanted <laughs> this transfer to go through, and he said, "I don't know the guy. He's, I'm not not going to approve it." And he just left because obviously then he was offered out of contracts and offered a big money deal in China. There's been so many like players at Newcastle yeah. and Southampton because they won't meet the asking price, and there's this bloke from yeah. Austria. So, oh yeah, forty million. Yes, you know, we'll, <laughs> we'll pay it. It's yeah, just bizarre. It's... it's just really bizarre. I mean, I can understand the frustration with Newcastle fans. To be honest, can you? Yes, definitely. I mean, what's his I've stat? Had... What is is it? Have you, did you look at his stats, Dan? By any chance? Sorry, he's just about to... two goals, isn't he, in the Premiership? I think it's not much, is it at all? I know he scored one against Palace this year, but... He got one against Spurs last year. That's the only one I remember. So, in the Premier League, he's got three goals in 61 appearances for Newcastle. <laughs> so, yeah, grade A How many goals has Johnny Evans got for Leicester? <laughs> <laughs> that's mad. That is... That's madness. I reckon yeah. Joel Matip scored more goals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that's a good one. Really. Yeah, that is a good one. I I was debating it, but I thought I can't be that harsh because he's still in the Premier League. He might turn it around and suddenly bag about 15 goals that season. Chris, he's not going to turn it around. <laughs> <laughs> you never Obviously. know. I, I I don't ever want to sort of like... <laughs> Look, he might tear it up in the Championship next season when Newcastle go down, but I can't see him turn it around. And he's slipped in Joel Vincent. They could make the point safe here. Joel Vincent going on. Oh, it deflects it for two. Two goals in the blink of an eye. First Wilson, then Joel Vincent. And that should be job done for Newcastle. A late, late show from the Magpies at Southhurst Park tonight. Well, it was lovely to hear your voice, Dan. Um, we're now back to oh, Chris with number three. What was your number four? Was your, yours the same as mine? Oh, sorry, yeah. My, my four was Jack Rodwell, which oh, we already okay, talked cool. about. Yeah. Um, yeah, my number three is uh, Danny Drinkwater. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I um, I left him off. You left him off, fair enough. I mean, to be fair, he was on, the, on our list for uh, best one-season wonders, actually. I think, Dan, you put him on there. I did, yes, that's right. Yeah. That's why I left him off. Yeah, so obviously we're moving on from his Leicester Championship winning season where he linked with, obviously, Kante. Uh, He stayed, obviously, at Leicester for an additional season, then got his move to Chelsea for £35 in June 2017. He then made 21 appearances in all competitions in his first season. But the arrival of uh, Mr. Sari as manager prompted one start all season, and that was even the champ. That was even the sorry the Community Shield match at the beginning of the season. Unfortunately, he's probably going to be known for more of his off-field antics than his time at, at Chelsea. He apparently was seeing a sports psychologist in a bid to resurrect his career and had two loan spells at Burnley and Villa. Some of his off-field antics were were interesting. He was given a 20-month driving ban 
in uh, 2019 after plowing his Range Rover through a wall twice, uh, the legal limit. And then also, again, for headbutting former teammate Jota during a training session with Villa. Uh, the foot, uh, he was then involved in a brawl outside a nightclub after being caught on film appearing to headbutt another footballer. Um, if you remember, just going back to his uh, playing career, that uh, his Villa debut was a disaster against Man City and he was actually substituted at half-time. But unfortunately, this year, um, by Frank Lampard, he was demoted to the under-23s. And obviously, his faltering career went to new lows when he on a 16-year-old where he kicked out in the derby match against Spurs. It's the same match that um, Peter Ketch was in goal. You know, when he wanted to make his comeback and he listed himself as like third keeper for Chelsea. It was a bit of a bizarre match. And he, yeah, unfortunately, uh, Drinkwater got himself sent off. He's now managed to go on loan um, with a Turkish side called in basketball. Uh, so, yeah, that's where he is at the moment. And I put him so high because you got such a price tag on someone. Expected him to probably work well with Kante. He probably didn't. It didn't work out. And I think the, the club, the size of the club, just got probably a bit to his head. And he's just been on a, a free fall, hasn't he? Just off the field. And he's not, not many people are going to touch him, are they? You know, he's got to keep your nose clean, haven't you? Yeah, I, I I left him off because before that Leicester season he wasn't really that that good. I didn't think, and he had one great season with Leicester. Obviously with Kante, I can understand why Chelsea tried to then rekindle the partnership, but I think he, he you know like we said he was a one season wonder and then managed to secure a thirty two million transfer out of it. Yeah, I think they only played six times together at Chelsea as well, which just says a lot then, really, doesn't it? So if they're going to be that good together, then you would have thought they would have played more. Yeah, Conte loved him. Conte wanted uh, Drinkwater and Kante to play together, but Conte didn't get to stick around. No, no. Um, it's sad, though, because obviously the, the probably the pressures of being in a bigger club probably got to him a little bit. And he's obviously going on a bit of a free fall. But again, you put you up to a certain level and you've got to stick at that level, haven't you, professionally? Yeah, but he came so to Man United ranks. You think he'd be used to a big club mentality? Yeah, yeah I agree with that. Yeah, he's just, just blown it himself, hasn't he, really? You know, yeah, it's just. To be honest, but I was just trying to put it in a nice. Yeah, yeah, no, sort of yeah. no I, see, I see what you mean. But yeah, like I said, you think being drilled under Ferguson, you'd be. Disciplined to not go off the rails. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's a surprise. True. I was very surprised with the way he's he's acted since his since what's happened. You know the way he clattered the poor young man in the under twenty threes match. You got to be setting the example, haven't you? You know. Yeah. It's hardly going to get himself in the good books if he's clattering a sixteen year old, is it? <laughs> but yeah, that's what I put there anyway. Fair enough. Uh, and um, 
referee, good luck with this one. Well, Toby Amolu's run about 50 yards just to start pushing people around, and uh, Danny Drinkwater's reaction is not one of... Well, because the challenge that came in to start with from Alfie Devine was well, it, dirty. It was wrong. I mean, it was a foul, and, and all day long it was a foul, but I think the, there's a massive overreaction here, and you, you would hope that, that Danny, being a seasoned pro, wouldn't react like that. Um, you would also hope the referee wouldn't just stand back and watch it. Just get well, in there and break him up. Yeah. Goodness me. Okay, Dan, what have you got for so number three? Right, number three, I've gone for Claudio Bravo. Oh, he was heavily considered by myself, but he, uh, I left him off in the end. Okay. So yeah, this is a Man City goalkeeper that they signed for £17 million from Barcelona. And he made his debut uh, in a 2-1 triumph over Manchester United, although he was at fault for the Man United goal and received widespread criticism for his performance where he, uh, he flapped it across and the United striker struck it into an empty net. Uh, but upon his uh, following that on his return to the new Camp in a Champions League match, he was sent off for handling the ball outside the box in a 4-0 defeat. And then um, following on from this, there were a number of high-profile errors in his game, including uh, being beaten by all six shots on target uh, in his previous appearances for Manchester City to that point. And eventually, he was dropped to the bench in 2017 with Willie Caballero taking his place. Uh, despite all this, uh, Pep Guardiola kept backing his goalkeeper. And um, there's one match where he was being criticised. And he said, that's the, the best performance I've seen for a goalkeeper in some time. Focusing not on his shot stop mobility, but his passing with the ball. <laughs> Which I think must have been quite hard for some Man City fans to stomach. Uh, there was a match in uh, 2019 where he had already been replaced in goal by Edison at this point. Uh, Edison was injured during the game. And a Champions League match against Atalanta, he came on as a half-time substitute. And he was actually sent off in the 81st minute for a foul. And Carl Walker had to go in goal for Man City. So another embarrassing mistake from Bravo <laughs> resulting in a, the image of Carl Walker in goal. Uh, but Bravo's general deficiencies under the high ball being put into the box and his shot stopping, uh, they flared again as uh, we saw a match against Burnley where um, there was a flick on at the near post and the ball looped over him. He flapped at it and then the punch didn't go far enough and Burnley struck it into the empty net again. It's just repeatedly with Bravo, mistake after mistake. And I think um, this all capped off with a... 4-0 defeat against Everton, where Bravo's indecisiveness allowed for Tom Davis to be played deep inside the penalty box and just having to chip it over the keeper after Bravo was caught in two minds as to whether to come for it or not. And then uh, for the final goal, uh, Luckman was at a tight angle and he managed to put it between Bravo's legs. And uh, that was uh, the fourth goal in a 4-0 drumming against Everton. I mean, just just uh, drop so many clangers and be so bad at, for £17 million. It's just embarrassing. It's like Taibi, uh, where, we, where we made fun of him on our flops list from uh, a few years earlier. For me, it's just comical how bad this guy was. To be fair, I totally forgot, but when you said about his stats, it was a ridiculous, wasn't it? Like, the, the save percentage was like... 
<laughs> I don't think he even got up to any percentage. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, you got to credit the Man, U, Man, uh, Man City defence. Because any shot that came to him, he was going to concede, wasn't it? It was just unbelievable. And he shot on target. He did He did gather quite a bit of a cult status in the cup competitions. Though. He, he made a few important saves, I read. Penalty but, saves. Yeah. yeah, penalty saves. But in terms of, yeah, in terms of, you're right, in terms of Premier League, he was awful. Okay, uh, so my number three is another goalkeeper, which you may know. Kepa Arizabalaga. Yeah, I've put him at my number one. Okay, I'll let you do the talking. <clears throat> okay, so um, he signed for Chelsea in 2018 for £71.6 million, which uh, made him the world's most expensive goalkeeper. So, yeah, on this flop list, we're talking about the world's most expensive goalkeeper now. Courtois had just left for Real Madrid, so he had big boots to fill. And he was signed for his speed, agility, shot-stopping ability, quick reflexes, and brilliant saves that he was making in Spanish football. He was also known for his footwork and his distribution and his skill on the ball. So all these qualities, Chelsea decided £71.6 million was the price they had to pay to get this world-class goalkeeper. Uh, he made a, a understated start initially, uh, but then the problem seemed to surface in the 2019 League Cup final where he was uh, thought to be injured and suffering from cramp so they tried to make a substitution and uh, being kind to Kepa we could say it was a communication breakdown where he didn't leave the pitch Uh, many pundits thought he was out of order for refusing to be substituted he was reprimanded after the match and uh, dropped from the team. And this seemed to spark a dipping confidence where he was uh, playing second fiddle to, again, Willy Caballero. Uh, since then, his form has been very patchy. Uh, any ball into the box, he seems to flap at. He lacks authority. He doesn't command his defence. And he's been cited for many a soft goal where he's only got a part of the ball or he's reacted late. He actually had the he actually has the worst save percentage in Premier League history to play ten plus games with fifty four point five percent. That puts him in seven hundred and thirtieth position. Crazy. Uh, he's conceded eight percent of Chelsea's Premier League goals since nineteen ninety two, yeah. and for fourteen out of the forty seven goals he's conceded, he didn't move. <laughs> So uh, ultimately, despite this £71.6 million transfer fee, he had to be replaced by the signing of Mendy. <laughs> it really is mad, isn't it? I mean, the sheer poorness of the goalkeeping, isn't it, really? I mean, if I were Chelsea, I would have just sent him just on loan this season just to to just try and get some confidence because near the end of it, it was just killing him, wasn't it? You could see he was absolutely petrified, the lad, of even yeah. getting the ball. You know, in yeah, case his confidence is completely gone. Just absolutely shot. It was... I mean, the thing is, though, the, the only thing you could probably say is he's young enough so he could probably pull it round with a couple of seasons away from the limelight. But 
at the moment. I can't see it because he's, he's not as young as I thought he was. Yeah, he's 26. He's 26. Well, 26 I thought he, is he? I thought oh, I thought he was, was about 24. Yeah, I thought he was about 23, but. Oh, okay. He's 26. Still, they're still quite young for a goalkeeper. I'm not sort of trying to say anything about all the mistakes he's made, though, to try and defend them. <laughs> there was um, there's one other stat that I read um, going on about your save percentage one. Um, he was ranked 127th out of 132 goalkeepers in Europe's top leagues in terms of save percentage in 2020. <laughs> yeah. You know, 71 million buys you, buys you, you know, I'm five off, six off the bottom. <laughs> Crazy. It is. It's staggering. Oh, it's given by Kepa. Arisa Balaga, another catastrophe for him. And Sadio Mane has his second. And it's totally gift-wrapped by the goalkeeper. Look at that reaction to giving the ball away. The anger, then the anticipation. Forget Kepa. We know he takes a chance. Mane knows he takes a chance. It's brilliant from the Liverpool forward. Uh, Chris, number two, please. Mine's Fernando Torres. Okay, so obviously Torres was bought in January 11 for 50 million from Liverpool. Uh, he had a fantastic record in the previous clubs he went to. So at Atletico, he scored 91 goals in 244 appearances. And Liverpool was an amazing 81 goals in 142 games for, for them. But unfortunately, his tenure didn't start very well. Failed to score for the first 903 minutes for Chelsea. He eventually scored against West Ham. However, that was the only one that he scored for the half season he was there for. But then, uh, the following season, against Barcelona, he scored that goal. So... The Blues uh, were down to 10 men and winning away goals. Demetrio brought on Torres for Drogba with 10 minutes to go. Then scored the winner to send Chelsea through to the final, which they ended up winning on penalties. Unfortunately, that season only averaged one goal in five games. The next uh, couple of seasons were much the same, but had a really good record in Europe with one goal in every two games did quote on an interview that he said about joining uh, Chelsea and his time at Chelsea that he needed to find uh, his own way and that was to go to Chelsea. He thought that 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 was the club to offer him more chances of winning trophies. It was maybe his fault for not being able to adapt quicker. This is on his lack of success at Chelsea. I had good moments, but I wasn't consistent. If you're not performing every week, then someone will come in. Uh, I'll always say it was my fault. I was old enough to find solutions, but didn't do. I won the trophies, but I didn't do it every week. Carlo Ancelotti was the manager that I signed. I spoke with him before I signed, but that was not the reason why I signed. Every year, they changed, changed the manager it was always a big manager. I knew the difficulties of going to Chelsea, but I thought it was the team to offer the chances of winning trophies. They haven't won a Champions League and our generation like that needed to win the Champions League. Finally, we did it. 
So he played four seasons, making 110 appearances, scoring 20 goals in the Prem. He then went on loan to Milan and uh, Atletico Madrid. But I found it was, it was really quite odd because if I remember rightly, I think Anne might be able to help me with this, that one of his last games with Liverpool, he scored a hat-trick against Wolves. And then suddenly to move over to another team and just not be able to score, I found was very odd. I mean, I don't know whether it was because Didier Drogba was there and took, and it was difficult to sort of beat him off that... It, it was, yeah, I mean, it, it was odd, but I read, I um, can't remember where I read, I think Jamie Carragher said that even in that final season before he moved to Chelsea, that, that the Liverpool players could tell he was not quite the same level he'd been previously. Yeah. And Carragher said when when they heard they were getting 50 million for him, they were actually, you know, obviously they didn't want to see him go, especially to Chelsea, but they thought 50 million, they, they were kind of laughing. They could tell yeah, that he perhaps, perhaps had his peak, and that was yeah. I think yeah, he had two knee operations at Liverpool, and I think that's why we saw him peak. Um, for me, he didn't have that same blistering pace either no. at Chelsea. He was a shame, absolutely shame. rapid at Liverpool. I, I I do I do think as well that the media just cut his confidence. I mean, like with most strikers, it's all about confidence, isn't it? And he missed a few, and then there's a the famous Man United open goal miss he did, yeah. where he took it around the keeper and he just skied it. And, and you think like you've got that price tag on you, and you've done that, you just it's just putting like ten times the amount of pressure on you, isn't it? And and you're paying 50 million and you you expect that sort of quality, don't you, that you're going to get 25 goals a season. And it just didn't work out. I, I honestly don't know. The guys are genuinely seems like a nice guy as well. Yeah, It's sad. It's, it's a real it, shame that he never won anything at Liverpool, considering how yeah. good he was. And you think how, you know, let's be blunt, crappy was at Chelsea and how much he won. It's almost like <laughs> the opposite, you know. All the yeah. trophies you won at Chelsea, you probably should have won at Liverpool. Yeah, yeah. It's like it, uh, but the, but the weird thing you'll say though, he would go down in folklore for that for that Barcelona game. He was on for ten minutes, scored that goal, but everyone will remember that. It's just odd, isn't it? How the way the world works. Yeah, and uh, he said as well, it, his, his boyhood club was Atletico. And he only left Atletico because he wanted to try and win more. That's why he went to Liverpool. And then when it came to leaving Liverpool, it had to, for him, it had to be the same reason. It's to, to live trophies. It's not about money or anything like that. It's about giving himself the best chance to win trophies and progress his career. So that's why he went to Chelsea. He always had, um, you never walk alone on his armband at Atletico. So when he, when Liverpool came up, it was almost sort of, Destined to be in the stars, but he was, he was, you know, for me, you would go down to Liverpool great. I know he went to Chelsea, and I know people. Oh, he was. Him, it was, it was amazing. He was Liverpool great for me. I loved watching him for Liverpool. It was fantastic. It was, it was I, I absolutely idolized him, and I was about 25 when he was at Liverpool. He was my absolute idol. Yeah. I'm, I'm not afraid to admit that. that mm. you know, I had an idol at the age of 25. <laughs> <laughs> But it's just such a fall from grace, though, wasn't it? That's the thing. It was just suddenly you got someone who's on 20 odd goals a season, and then it just suddenly whittled straight down, didn't it? And it's just. In some ways, I'm glad 
Um, but in other ways, it's it's sad. It's such a great player, it's such a fall from grace. Yeah, it's just a capitulation, wasn't it? Really. Uh, I honestly, I, I thought I'd seen it all over the years, but uh, I mean, it's a great run. Fantastic run. He's onside by miles, and you think that's great, great feet round the keeper. An empty net. Oh, I mean, how empty a net do you need it to be? How big does the target need to be? Just when you thought Fernando Torres, after scoring a wonderful goal, his fortunes were changing. Ground open up oh. and swallow him. Shovel and spade. Okay, uh, Dan, what's your number two? All right, number two, I've gone for Ilya Quim Mangala. Ah, he's a special mention for me. Okay. It was him or Mendy, and I chose Mendy. Fair enough. Okay. So, yeah, Mangala, he was signed in 2014 by Man City for £42 million, which at the time made him the most expensive defender in the history of football. So um, he'd impressed in Porto by dominating the Portuguese league. But um, as we've heard already, uh, dominating in a league like Portugal or the Dutch league doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have the same success in the Premier League. Uh, he lined up there alongside Vincent Company for his debut. And initially, pundits described the pair as colossal. They're both very big units and very imposing figures. But then, however, six days later... Uh, in a 4-2 win over Hull City, he managed to score an own goal and concede a penalty. So the cracks were already starting to appear. There was a lot of uh, media criticism of his positioning and his slow reactions. But Manuel Pellegrini said, we continue to trust him because he is a very good player who has had very bad luck. But the uh, the bad luck seemed to continue. The performances didn't improve. And eventually he lost his place in the team. And uh, he didn't last the course. So that's all I've got on him, I'm afraid, because he, he, he wasn't. He didn't go on to do anything more in his career, really, either. That's fair enough. He went from yeah. forty-two million pounds, the most expensive defender in the world, to just dropping off the face of the earth. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I I, I left him off because he was just the same as several other Man City and yeah Chelsea defenders. I did like once though that um, Man City were having their defensive troubles, and he was he was at centre back with John Stones, who was also having a patchy form uh, at the time. And someone pointed out this is the most expensive defensive partnership that's ever played in the game of football. <laughs> and look how bad they're playing. <laughs> okay, so that leaves the number one spot. Um, Dan's already mentioned Kappa, and me and Chris have both said Alexis Sanchez. Do you want me to do a talking for this one, Chris? If you don't, don't mind, like, please. Well, I, I, I don't feel like I've spoken since about the, the fifth one. <laughs> yeah, so Alexis Sanchez. I mean, he didn't really move any sort of big money. He was part of a swap move with Henrik um, Mkhitaryan going the other way. But it's the fact that United reportedly agreed to hand over £391,000 per week salary with a £75,000 appearance bonus and a £1.1 million annual bonus on top of that. And, you know, this is Alexis Sanchez. This is a guy who was absolutely phenomenal for Arsenal. He scored 80 goals in 106 appearances. 
him their standout player for you know for three and a half years. And he, he moved to Man United and he got five goals in 45 outings, which, you know, we speak of Torres having a drop-off, but I think this is just, if not worse, to be honest. Um, for whatever worse. reason, hey, it's not worse. It's a lot worse. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Um, yeah, I think Man City, who obviously linked with him as well at the time, I think they... They did well to get out of that deal, to be honest. So uh, it didn't work out for Manchester United. He went to um, Inter Milan on loan. I haven't done my research that well, but he, I don't think he was particularly that great there. And they, they made him permanent. But the whole time he was at Old Trafford, he earned um, 59 million. So basically each goal cost them 19 million pounds. Yeah. You know, like I said, yeah. we've had players on this list gone for 50, 50 or million, but yeah, he, he didn't really go for that much. But the amount he must have cost Manchester United, yeah, definitely yeah. phenomenal. Which is why I've got him at number one. I don't know if Chris, no, I mean, I've got him because, however, I've looked at a few articles and you're looking at like 560 grand a week. This guy was on, guess how many games he actually completed during his tenure there. One. Ten. Oh. Ten games. Yeah, but he always used to get subbed off, even at Arsenal. He never had good stamina, did he? But still, mate, it's, you know, you're paying that guy that much money. You just... I know it's man, you know, I, I think, to be honest, I'd be brutally honest, and I think his head was swayed with Man City, and Man City didn't want to agree to what he wanted, what he wanted, so... Man, you agreed, so he reluctantly went there. Well, the way I viewed it was um, both clubs were in for him, and yeah. he could have gone to Man City, who were top yeah. of the league, competing for trophies, yeah. played more attractive football. But Man United offered him more money, and he went to Man United. That was the way I looked at it, cynically. Well, apparently, you know, like we, we know, there's um, the famous first day that he had there. Do you want me to to give you the quote? In an interview with him directly, he said, um, the first days that I was with my colleagues, sometimes there are things that you do not realise until you arrive. The first training I had, I realised many things. I came home and I told my representative, can't the contract be terminated to return to Arsenal? They started laughing and I told them, told them that that something did not sit right with me. It had already been signed. So this was the first set of trading. He didn't agree to it. Or he didn't didn't, didn't agree to their ethos. I guess. But it's just strange. I just, just don't get it. I mean, like you said, he scored five goals in 45 games, nine assists. Uh, both managers, Mourinho and Solskjaer, could not apparently motivate him. So, basically, uh, Mourinho tried to antagonise him to get him to to play. Mm. And um, Solskjaer just ignored him. Apparently, when Sanchez missed a shot, he would blame the quality of pass from the likes of Rashford, Lingard or Martial. He claimed his movement was superior, that he could could see storylines unfold on the pitch far quicker than any of his teammates. I just think he was a bit of a prima donna. 
but just didn't do what he, he said he was going to do. Yeah, he could be right. Um, I've got a quote from Sanchez himself who said, uh, in a game with, against West Ham, I wasn't picked. That had never happened to me before as a player. It bothered me and I said it couldn't be possible. Shows his arrogance then, don't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's how I put, I put got here, massive arrogance. And I mean, to be fair, if you're sitting on four, whatever the figures are, I read various articles, it said 400 grand a week, 560. No matter what you're looking at, it's huge amounts of money. And he's just sitting there on the bench. He should be playing every minute of every game, that sort of money, and doing major things for Man U, shouldn't he? But he just yep. wasn't. Massive waste of money. I know it's a swap deal, but the amount of money they must have wasted on him is just, it's incredible, isn't it? Probably still paying his wages now. Yeah. Yeah. Paying it's it hard back, to offload people when they're on that much. Liverpool are still playing Joe Coles, aren't they? <laughs> More than likely. Sanchez tonight going over to Italy and I, I welcomed him coming to the club because I thought he would be a, a forward that would play all across the line, he'd score goals, he's tenacious but it's been a disaster he's been an absolute disaster I mean, I, I, I have no idea what's happened to Alexis Sanchez there must be two of them the one that we saw playing for Barcelona and Arsenal for sort of like five, six, seven, eight years the one that's turned up in Manchester I, I have no idea what it is and I've got so much respect for him in terms of what I saw even you know, we talk so well about him but they need to now get him out of the club. OK, yeah, nice one. Um, yeah, it's a good list there. Uh, very quickly, have we got any special mentions? Uh, do you want to go first, Dan? Uh, yeah, just a couple. Uh, I've got Sebastian Haller, who West Ham bought for £45 million. Pounds. Um, it wasn't very successful. got 10 goals in 48 appearances. And um, another Fulham special. A couple of seasons ago, they signed a Jean Jean Michel Serry for eighteen oh, yeah. million. Yeah, 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 from Nice, I think it was. Yeah, Cameroonian, and yeah. Um, yeah, he lost his place in the team in the season they were relegated, and uh, he was off on loan last season. Uh, this season, he's um, he's not really nailed down a place in the team yet, so yeah, a bit disappointing. Chris? Yeah, I've got the whole of the QPR season from 2013, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Especially that. I mean, <laughs> I, I wanted to put a couple on there, but I thought they'd just get in the way of my other top 10, so I didn't. But <laughs> it's just madness. Some of them are just, oh, gives you a headache just to look at it. Um, I actually then put some special mentions for Wolf uh, Saha. He's moved to Man U. And also Carrillo. Um, I think his name was Guardio Carrillo. He went to Southampton. He's a lanky striker for 19 million under Pellegrino. And he made like two appearances and he was just not particularly good. And he went back to Spain when Pellegrino got sacked. And uh, Davy Clevis, Klassen, sorry. Um, he was from Ajax to Everton for like 23 million. But then I think he went back to, I think he went to Verde, Verde Bremen 
Yeah, that was my special mentions. What about you, and Did you have any? Yeah, I had um, Mangala, which um, Dan already spoke about. Yeah. Uh, and I also had uh, Timui Bakayoko, Chelsea. Oh, I did look at him, and I just thought I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And I was also going to be very controversial, and I bottled it last minute. I was going to have Messi Ozil on my list. I thought someone was going to put I him on. Yeah, I, do you know what? I thought, shall I be that guy? And I thought, no, do you know what? I won't. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to be that guy. I couldn't find quite <laughs> enough stats to back up why I thought he was a flop, other than the fact he's got a bad attitude. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought I'd leave him off. Okay, right. Uh, Dan, what have we got on fantasy football? Right, fantasy football. So out in front, we've still got Mr. Clerk de Cruz, who's got a little 29-point cushion at the top of the table. And out of us three, Ant, you're out in front. You're in 13th place on 1,650 points. And then I'm in second in 23rd position, 1,556 points. So it's just over 100 points now, catching you up a little bit after a... I had had an absolute shocker. I had a good week last week. Yeah, I know you did. <laughs> I had an absolute shocker. And then, Chris, you're in 26th place. You're only three positions behind me. You're on 1,528 points. 28 points behind me. Not okay. far away. Striking um, distance. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. And uh, a top scorer last week, it goes to a friend of mine who's been hoping to get a shout out for a while, Mr. Oliver Bray. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Mr. Ray, yeah. Ray, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he wagged himself 70 points. He was helped out by Martinez in goal, Dallas in defence, two points. Uh, Dunk got six points. Uh, Rafinha, eight points. Lingard, 12 points. Trossard, 14 points. Lacazette, 11 points. And Harry Kane was his captain with 14 points. Uh, like me, he played his free hit last week. Uh, Got 70 points for it. I would like to add that I probably should have beat him. I got 62 points and I had 20, another 21 points on my bench in the form of Lingard oh. and Lucas Mora. So I'm gutted I didn't beat him last week. Uh, I had Cresswell as captain. Ooh. <laughs> he got zero points. Actually, Ollie did have Cresswell and Target in his team who got zero points each, but he still got 70 overall. Fair play to him. Yeah. So, yeah, all to play for as we, uh, I think we're on the home straight now, aren't we? Yeah. yeah. Got some big games coming up as well. Definitely. But, yeah, I'm still going to catch you, Ant. Just you probably will, mate. 106 I points. Always, I always have a end of season <laughs> meltdown. <laughs> okay, right. To finish off, as always, we've got the quiz. Um, what's the scores, Dan? It's 9 8 3. Oh, okay. Come on, Chris. I need you tonight, mate. You need to get my heart. Okay. There are 16 questions. Um, there's not many long ones, so you're okay. okay. So, question number one. Having won the league in 2016, Leicester then faced Man United in the Community Shield at the start of the following season. How many of the Leicester starting 11 can you name? So it's a gamble question. So I will come to Dan first. Uh, go five. Go on, I'll go six. 
Okay. I'll have a go at seven. Ooh. You can gamble on any doors, Chris. Oh, I'll have to let... No, way. Go on, I'll go eight. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. Eight. Go on, Chris. I'll let you name eight. Go on then, Chris. Okay. Where's Morgan? Yes. Casper Schmeichel? Yes. Danny Simpson? Yes. Michael... Mark Albrighton? Yes. Jamie Vardy? Yes. Mares? Yes. Danny Drinkwater? Yes. One more. Oh, God. You played... Dan's probably thinking, yes, I know this guy. Sitting in the wings... Um, come on, mate. Come on, come blank. Um, I wish Nathan Dyer would stop coming out of my head because he's gone. <laughs> he's gone back to Sw- Swansea. <laughs> Go away from my head. Oh, um, Okazaki. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Morning, Chris. I couldn't think of any defenders. I think the three that you didn't name were Robert Huth, uh, Christian Fuchs, and Andy King. Andy King? Andy King played. Jesus, okay. I would have, I would have been here till tomorrow trying to name Andy King. Judging <laughs> yeah. by Dan's face, I'm not sure he would have got Andy King, would you? No, and something, I was at that game. <laughs> so I can't remember oh, played. God. Surprised you didn't get your program out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know where I put that, actually. Okay. First blood to Chris. Right. Question two. Uh, how many of the Man United starting 11 can you name? Oh, you beauty. And I'll start with... Um, who did I start with last time? Dan. Mm. Oh, I'll go with Kristen. How many can you name? Four. Oh, I'll go five. And what I'm going to say to Dan... You can name that, mate. Gone down. Well, I don't think I could do any better, to be fair. Okay. So, Saturn? Yes. Uh, Eric Bai? Yes. Uh, Memphis Depay? No. Chris, can you name one for the win? Michael Carrick. Correct. Mm. 2 0 to Chris. Okay, question three. What was significant about the recent World Cup qualifier against Netherlands and Latvia? That there were fans in it. No. There weren't any substitutions made? No. That Latvia had no shots on goal? No. Nothing to do with the two teams, per se. That Rune Nistelrooy made his debut as assistant manager? (laughs) No. If he did, that's a good start. But no, that's not the answer. <laughs> was it played in a different continent? No. But the Latvian coach was Dutch. No. I'll put you out of imagery because you'll be here all night. It was the first female to referee a World Cup oh. qualifier. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's a good that's a good question, mate. There's a bonus if you know a name. I'm guessing you probably don't. Oh, yeah. Something like Rebecca Marsh or something like that. Was it the English one? No, miles off, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Stephanie Frappart. Oh, no. 
Okay, still 2-0 to Chris. Question number four. All right, you've got one answer each for this. And I want you to either write down a bit of paper or hold up some fingers. It's only a number. Okay. However you want to do it, or send me a chat or whatever. How many times have Spain finished in the last four of the World Cup? Um, going to write it down, Dan, or we're going to chat it to... I don't mind how to do it. You can do it on your fingers if you want. Yeah, I'll just hold some fingers up when you want me to. Yeah, tell me when, and I'll do it. Okay, ready, go. Dan says one, Chris says two. Yeah. Chris is correct. Oh, why don't Chris? In 1950, they came fourth, and in 2010, they won it. Well played, Chris. 3 0. <laughs> don't get a nosebleed. Uh, so, question five is I'm going to name some teams this player has played for Torino, Pisa, Rackvena, Rac- Venezia, Atalanta, Juventus, Atletico Madrid, Lazio, Inter, AC Milan, Monaco, Sampdoria, Atalanta again, Fiorentina, Atalanta. Definitely uh, well travelled. Gilardino? <laughs> <laughs> um, nope. Signori? Nope. So he went to Monaco, did you say? Uh, yeah, he was at Monaco yeah, for a bit. Yeah, in one of his travels. Um, Probably not his most well-known period. Okay. I'd, I'd say you're looking into AC Milan... Okay. Probably his, his best periods. And you went to Juventus as well, did he? Yeah, he played for Juventus. Very, very well-known player. Dino Baggio? Nope. Not a million miles Zaghi? off. Nope. About the right era, I'd say. Christian Vieri? Well done. Bloody hell, Chris, you've had your Weetabix today, mate. <laughs> All nil up against Bam. <laughs> Just look. Question number six. Who recently became Croatia's most capped player? Modric. Yes. Well done, Dan. Comeback is on. <laughs> Question number seven. Which part-time Isthmian Premier League side recently stunned Notts County on penalties? to reach the FA Trophy final at Wembley after a three-all draw. Oh, Boris. Oh, I actually heard this on the news. Yeah, oh. I did as well. I forgot. <laughs> Brackley Town. No. To be fair, it, it, it's not a name that will immediately stick in your head. It sticks in my head because I know where it is. Yeah. Is it like Wallstone United? No. I'm out, mate. I can't No, remember. I don't know. Okay. Hornchurch. Oh. It's in Essex. <laughs> <laughs> My workmate used to live there. Okay, uh, question number eight. It's another gamble question. How many teams can you name that have won the FA Cup but don't currently play in the Premier League? There's 27. I'm not expecting to get all 27. But Wow, okay. Um, I'll start with Dan first. Uh, let's start with five. 
I'll go six. I think I've got to go seven. <laughs> uh, go on then, Dan. Okay. Uh, Sunderland? Uh, yes. Portsmouth? Yes. Uh, how far back are we going with this? <laughs> Ever. So, Blackburn Olympic? Yeah, well done. Wanderers? Yeah. Got two more. Uh, Stoke City? Um, no. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, Dan, they're not on the list. Chris, can you name one? Wigan. Yes, well done. Well, Portsmouth, Dan. Portsmouth. He said Portsmouth. Yeah. Did he say Portsmouth? <laughs> I'll let you off then. So, the full list. Blackburn Rovers, The Wanderers, Bolton, Sheffield Wednesday, Preston, Old Etonians, Portsmouth, Sunderland, Forest, Bury, Huddersfield, Oxford University, Royal Engineers, Derby, Cardiff, Blackpool, Clapham Rovers, Notts County, Barnsley, Charlton, Blackburn Olympic, Bradford City, Ipswich, Coventry, Wimbledon, Wigan. Blackburn Olympic, though, that's a good shout there, Dan. Jesus. <sighs> Should have got Coventry and Wimbledon at least. I'm, I'm glad I'm glad Dan got Blackburn Olympics in as he <laughs> <laughs> you got Blackburn Olympic, but not bloody Wimbledon. Oh, oh no, shocking! <laughs> They're not in his book, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the scores are five-one to Chris. Browsers. Blimey! Question number nine: The EFL Trophy, aka the Papa John's Trophy, is it now called? Had two finals played on consecutive days recently due to a postponement from last year. Can you name the two teams to win the trophy on the same weekend? I can name one. That's, you can name a point for each. Um, I'll go with Salford and Portsmouth. You've got one point, Chris, for Salford. Walsall? Nope. Shrewsbury, the other one? Nope. They've been spoken about a lot tonight. Sunderland? Yes. Yeah. Point to the Sunderland beat. Uh, no, Sunderland beat Tranmere. Salford beat Portsmouth, um, if I'm right. Question number 10. Which team has come FA Cup runners-up the most but have never won it? Leicester City. Well done, Dan. Wow. Four times. You have a th- chance to think about that one. Man United and Everton have come runners-up eight times, but they have obviously won it. Question number 11. Who's the first team to win the English top flight in three consecutive seasons? I'll go Blackpool. No. Aston Villa? No. Blackburn Rovers? No. Liverpool? No. Cardiff? No. no. One more uh, guess. Pre- uh, Preston? No. Good shout, but no. One more guess for Dan. Sheffield uh, Wednesday? No. Huddersfield. Question number 12. So it's another one that I'm going to name some teams. You've got to guess who he's played for. I uh, guess who he is, sorry. Ajax, Liverpool, Hoffenheim, Ajax, Kasim Passer, Al In, Deportivo, Besiktas, Fulham, 
Galatasaray, Ajax. Brian Bubble. Well done. Chris is storming it tonight. Yeah, I think he's won it. 7-3. Seven, seven, with ooh, four questions left. You go, draw. <laughs> Don't make me think of a tiebreaker this time. Enough. <laughs> <laughs> Which Swedish footballer once had a clause inserted into his Premier League contract? That Stefan Schwartz. Yeah. Prohibited him from travelling into space. Yeah, and Dan's <laughs> right. Stefan Schwartz. <laughs> Now he switched on now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's not a chance. He's just been hustling me. Messi has spent his entire professional career at Barcelona. What was his schoolboy team? Uh, knew I was old boys. Well done, Chris. I think you've sealed the win. Which team was the first from the UK to win the European Cup? Forest. No. Celtic. Yes. All right, last one. Make you think a bit. There are three teams that England have faced once or more in a World Cup tournament. And these three teams have a 100% record against England. Who are they? Belgium. France. No. I think Sweden. I think England actually have 100% against France in a World Cup. No, they don't. They're not. No, they had that that, uh, Zidane thing, didn't they? That was Euros, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, World well, Cup. Cool. Tunisia. No. So they have a 100% record against England? Yeah, in a World Cup tournament. Oh, OK, again. OK. And how many times have they faced them, sorry, mate? Once or more. Costa Rica? No. By 100%, I mean, they've won every game. Yeah. USA? No. Italy? Yes. Argentina. Brazil. No, sorry, take that out. Brazil. No. West Germany. No. <laughs> Beat them in the final. Oh, yeah, of course. Six to six. Right, Chris has deducted five points for that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've been so good tonight, as well. Um, Uruguay. No. I'll give you one Hungary. more guess. Yes. Point each for Chris and Dan so far. Dan, you've got one more guess left. Spain. No. It's actually Croatia. Oh, you only played them once. And that was two years ago. Two yep. years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair play. There we are. Scores on the doors. Chris, nine. Dan, six. Wow. Well done, Chris. Thank you, mate. Blooming heck. I'm back in the game, guys. The comeback's <laughs> on. <laughs> speak is just, just before really... the end, then, I'll just uh, give us uh, any lists that you want to to give us, then please email us to varatthebar2020 at gmail.com or even uh, tweet us. Uh, we've got our inbox there with varatthebar1. Uh, that could be for any list at, at all that we haven't covered or any alternative list that you've done that you want to sort of say that ours is rubbish, then just let us know. And we'll obviously give you a shout-out on the next pod. 
and I think is it my choice for the top ten and top five next time? I believe yep. so. Well, I, I have actually thought of this in great detail. And we're going for top five bold headed footballers. <laughs> okay. Are we rating the footballer or the head? Um, we're rating both, to be honest, mate. As I've got obviously a receding hairline myself, that I've just thought it'd be perfect. There's enough there to pick from. Um, how how um how much baldness are we going for? Are we going for uh, we'll go Sunny Murphy look down. or uh, or Thomas Graham. We we'll go we we'll go sort of Jason Statham transporter down. So there's a bit of hair there, but Danny Murphy esque. Right, okay. Yeah. Are you happy with that? Just as a bit of a joke. Uh, and obviously I'll whack that out on uh, social media as well. I'm sure we'll get some interesting results with that. Um, the top 10, this is obviously via approval from you guys, is best 10 players never to play in the World Cup. There's plenty there. Ah, okay. Uh, that's a good one. Try like another research week. There's, there's, there's plenty. I've had a quick gander, and there's plenty, plenty there to uh, go on. There's some interesting stories as well with some of them. So I thought, why not? Just so it's on a World Cup, so they can play in the Euros, but not in the World Cup. Okay. All right. Look forward to that one. Well, thank you for your time as always. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, I've got a win. I've got a win in the quiz. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, been a strange week for football. Um, <laughs> that's a bit harsh <laughs> I'll take it on the on chin the, mate take it on the chin on that note it's goodbye for me goodbye <laughs> for me and goodbye from me Network.